1: wish halloween came more than once a year how about once a week rottingfleshradio.com get scared get scary rottingfleshradio.com is your once a week trick or treat terror fix it's all about halloween america's best haunted houses horror entertainment news from the dark side and it's free every week go to rottingfleshradio.com
0: It's Halloween, whenever you
1: want. Rottingfleshradio.com!
2: And for the Bone Bat Podcast, where you can listen to Steve and Gord. It's a kick-ass digital broadcast where we've got dick jokes galore. Bone Bat. Yeah, this is
3: Norwood. I'm a bass player. I'm Sishbone, and you're listening to the Bone Bat Show.
0: You don't
2: Hey, what's up everybody? Welcome to episode 75 of the Bone Bat Show. This is Steve. And this is Gord. How's it going, man? Yeah, it's going good,
4: but I gotta say, I'm a little bit tired. I'm a a little bit run down and need of some sleep.
2: Really? Why so?
4: Because I've got deck raccoons. (laughs) Deckcoons.
2: Okay, you're gonna have to explain this one.
4: Yeah, well, you know how sometimes I have yard turkeys? Mm Mm-hmm. And they, they come and tear up the landscape and crap all over everything. Yes. Yeah, all right. And every once in a while, I have pool ducks. But now I've got yard raccoons. Here's the thing. I went to bed up a little bit later than usual because I was up playing Rage on the Xbox with you. And then you went to bed, and I stayed up a little later and played some more. I go to bed, and then, like, 2.30, 3 o'clock, I hear what I can only describe as
2: monsters
4: in my backyard. <laughs> have you ever heard raccoons just going crazy?
2: I have not heard like a raccoon party, no. They they sound
4: like a cross between a monkey and a bear. They, they don't bark like dogs. I mean, they, they yell, and but they yell in a real scary, like, ah, kind of way. And then they they do this chirpy, twittery kind of thing, and then they get back into the Rah! and then they're yelling. They're just, they're scary as shit sounding. So it wakes me up. This is why I would never survive in the wild. If I wake up from a dead sleep to the sound of something dangerous, I immediately walk towards it stark naked. (laughs) I I don't know why that happens, but it happened when someone was trying to steal my car out of the driveway. It's happened a few times. So naturally, I I grab my flashlight and I walk back to the backyard because in my mind, I'm going to shine my light on the raccoons, which is going to cause them to go, oh shit, we're we're keeping this guy up. We better do this quietly. I don't know what I'm thinking. And I I go to the back door and I start shining the light around and nothing. I don't see any raccoons. So I do that for a little bit and I'm getting a little bit more awake but I'm still mostly asleep. So I open the back door and I step out on my deck to see if by moving forward to the other side of this protective door suddenly I can see something. I don't know what I'm thinking. Anyway, I step out on the deck and I hear this just Low, guttural growl from directly below my naked self. <laughs> it is under the deck, and I'm there with nothing but a flashlight and my wang in the wind. And, boy, I'll tell you, the animal growl sound, that triggers something primal. The ad- adrenal glands wake right up. VOOM! I am completely wide awake and all of a sudden aware of what an idiot I'm being. <laughs> Really, I could probably take a raccoon. But do you really want to wrestle 20 pounds of fur and claws and fangs? No. No, you really don't. What you want to do is get back in the house and at least put on a pair of jeans.
2: (laughs) Maybe. Did you get a fear boner?
4: (laughs) I did not get a fear boner. (laughs) That's that's probably good. (laughs) (laughs) I still don't think that's real. (laughs) But if raccoons caused that, that would be even more disturbing. (laughs) I think it would. On a lot of levels. So well then I was wide awake, because, you know, you get a big blast of adrenaline, and you're not going back to sleep anytime soon. No. I got a new light for the backyard, though. That it was the first time I used it with this big remodel. I went, oh, well, let's turn on the light instead of using my flashlight, right? The thing is like 800 billion candle power. It just about burned the fence down. It's so bright. <laughs> I'm going to turn that on tonight. There's no way those decoons are coming back. It's, it is too bright to cope. Nice.
2: Well... Fortunately, although you are a bit tired, we have music to wake your ass up. Good, Tonight, I joining us on the show, Fishbone. Oh my God. Dude, I am so excited about this. Fishbone's been a band that you introduced me to. I still remember we were riding in your car, and you did your usual, hey, check this out. And you threw a cassette into the tape player, and Modern Industry played, and... It was just like such a cool, different, quirky, awesome song. And I was like, who the fuck are these guys? This is amazing. And, you know, it just goes from one song after another on that first EP that is great stuff. Party at Ground Zero, Ugly, Lioness Bitch, nothing but great tunes. And voyage
4: to the land of the freeze-dried Godzilla.
2: <clears throat> fantastic stuff. And to finally have them join us on the Bone Bat Show is just a big thrill for me. We have... Angelo Moore and Norwood Fisher both are interviewed to this episode. As well as the directors of a new documentary, Everyday Sunshine, which is the story of Fishbone. Uh, Lev Anderson and Chris Metzler are joining us on the show. And we have a bunch of brand new music from their new EP that is just hitting Crazy Glue. The song you heard to kick off the show is called Akafu. And we've got six more cuts that you'll be hearing throughout the show, along with some old fishbone, some live stuff, some documentary soundtrack stuff. We've got, uh, this is going to be a killer episode. You're going to love so this. So glad you're here to enjoy it with us. I'm starting to wake up. Sweet. So, dude. Yeah. Like we normally do about this time, what pisses you off? You know what pisses me off? Can we get real for a minute here? All right. let's get real. All right. It's pissing me off and
4: it, maybe it shouldn't be, but it is. The incredible public display of mourning for the death of Steve Jobs. Lord, people. Steve Jobs is dead. I, I get it. I get it. He's, you liked his stuff. He was a guy. You never met him. You never even met somebody that met him, but you liked his stuff. When Mark Sandman from Morphine died, I never met the man. I loved his music, and it made me sad. It made me sad for a long time, but Everywhere I turn, I'm seeing Steve Jobs tribute that, Steve Jobs mourning this. And this whole time that this guy is being mourned, all I can think about is, man, right about the same time I lost a friend, he died, and I don't see anything to to John anyway. My friend gets killed right in front of his kid by a freaking airplane smashing into the ground in front of him, and all I'm seeing is Steve Jobs, some guy I've never met. You know, it just pisses me off.
2: Yeah, I do find it kind of bemused by the fact that, you know, you see somebody you went to high school with who changes their picture on Facebook to an upside down Apple or his face or something like that. It's just, you know, yeah, it's not your family. I mean, you know, the guy made some great stuff, but he also charged you more than he should have for almost all of it. Yes,
4: he did. All right, what about you, Steve? What pisses you off?
2: You know what pisses me off? So there's this game out that is called uh, League of Legends. Are you familiar?
4: I don't play it, but I've heard about it a lot.
2: So it's a a, a video game where it's kind of a a, a team exercise, I guess, sort of like maybe raiding in World of Warcraft. There's wizards and warriors of different types. And you basically have to work your way across the map and capture a central point. And it's very difficult to do so. There's wave after wave of enemies that come at you. And so, you know, it's been getting these rave reviews, and it's a free online game. And so I thought to myself, you know, we heard about it at PAX and in different places. I don't want to try this game out. So I download it for free, install it on the computer. There's a couple of tutorial missions, and I play through those, and I kind of think I'm getting the hang of this. You're so okay? I finish the game, and it says, so do you want to play a practice game against robots with other people I'm like yeah sure why not I'll give it a try You know, sounds casual so I I get online with four other people and all of a sudden within two minutes people are yelling at me (laughs) in text what the hell are you some kind of noob I've never seen anybody this stupid before (laughs) go bot go bot go bot I'm like what the fuck does that mean am I supposed to attack the robot guys or whatever so I sit there and I'm just getting hammered by all these other people. And I'm, you know, trying to fight creatures and I'm dying and people are accusing me of feeding. I don't know what the fuck that means. <laughs> oh, feeder, feed, feed, watch bone hand, feed, feed, feed. What, what does that mean? <laughs> just uninstall, noob. This I, I, I just pissing on me. And so I, I like, I don't know what any of this is. So I back out of the game. And I, like, go online. I'm, like, Googling shit, trying to figure out what they're talking about. You're having to Google the insults people are throwing at you. Exactly. So it turns out bot means there's three lanes you can do. There's a top lane, a middle lane, and a bottom lane. And bot means go bottom lane. So, okay, I got that now. And so the other thing is I couldn't figure out how to text back to say, hey, I don't know what I'm doing. Give me some advice. Oh, that's sad. So then, you know, I, I look that up, too. And finally I go back, and this one person is still just pissing on me. I'm like, hey, eat a dick. This is my first game ever. Can you please give me some useful advice? Oh, gee, I'm sorry. And I mean, you know, still kind of being an asshole about it. And it just, you know, it, it, it sucked because I was enjoying the game up to that point, And now I don't want to fucking play it anymore. Yeah, that's why I, I... had a shitty experience with it, and it was no fun at all. It made me feel <laughs> humiliated, and I was just trying to kill an hour after work to have a good time. and that totally. Instead,
4: sucked. you're just sitting in impotent rage all alone in front yeah, of the computer.
2: It fucking pisses me off.
4: Oh, that's terrible.
2: Fucking League of Legends folks be hella intolerant when it comes to news.
4: Yeah, I guess so. You gotta love the Xbox where you can just turn off the sound. I got headphones that you can just... You can keep the game up but you can turn all the chat down. I don't know what they're yelling
2: at. Yeah, well, when they're texting at you. Yeah, that's different. That sucks. That's why it's good that I can't read. <laughs> it is. Well, to kinda of get away from people who hate me, we actually have a couple of voicemails this
1: episode. Hey Bone Bat.
5: Just thought, you know, way in again. You missed me. Yay.
6: To be honest, the Welsh jokes were shite. Well, <laughs> well jokes. Three Welsh strokes here. Just, you know, weigh in. And they're dirty. Mm -hmm. Why do Welshmen wear Levi buttonfly jeans? Because a sheep can hear a zipper at 100 yards. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Why do Welsh sheep farmers like to screw sheep on the edge of cliffs? Why? Because they push back so nicely. And the third Welsh joke is God, every time he comes near coke. So, (laughs) thanks for the four-year show. Thanks for the, you know, shit, it's all good again. (laughs) This is why you should never give a Welshman a mic at 20 to 11 at night. We make stuff up.
2: Anyway, goodbye. You know why Welshmen always like to wear hip waders? Why? Because it holds the sheep's back legs in place.
4: Oh, you know why they like to wear Velcro gloves? Why? It just
2: sticks to that wool. It can't get away. <laughs>
4: I guess Welshmen are a lot like people from Grenada, huh?
2: <laughs> a lot like them. It's funny how he, it's late at night. twenty-two eleven, mind you. A long, long way away from here. And he still has time to take a shot at you. Thank you, Stuart. <laughs> well played, sir. Get in line. All right. Uh, and our good friend Vaughn called. Vaughn. Hey, uh, guys, Vaughn.
5: Um, yeah, I got something that pisses me off. When you put on your transfer for your job... And they deny you, and then you find out that the person who got the job is actually lower in seniority than you. And they have to go through all this rigmarole to fucking try to get that job, and you kind of feel like a dick though because you're fucking somebody else over. But you know the company sucks assholes who doesn't want to, you know, who doesn't put the right guy in the right place. You know, I put my time in, I should be able to get the job I want. Having to fucking fight and grieve and, and you know putting grievances and argue with management, fucking bullshit. You know what kind of job I do, so I don't think I need to explain. The job is going down fast in the Titanic days. Anyway, boys, even though I don't like giving people fucking props, but uh, congratulations to four years. Um, even though I, what the fuck, four years, big fucking deal. Do it for ten. Then I'll start fucking really, you know, getting on my knees and rubbing your balls. <laughs> All right.
4: I don't know if we need that.
5: Uh, yeah, and by the way, why the hell does everybody forget Gord on the show? Every time I hear the show, it's always like, with Steve, and they don't forget Gord. When Gord's like the, the main reason 90% of the people probably show up, yeah, Steve <laughs> the same show, probably edits it and whatever, does all the hard work. And there's the most, you know, the latter of the two, just because Steve knows, to no, shut the fuck up, let Gord talk every once in a while. But, you know, it's steven Gord, man. And maybe if Gord used his full name, you know, Gordon, whats a mush a long God, he
2: knows my name.
5: All right. I gotta go. My wife's on
2: the phone. Bye. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Your wife's calling. Get the yeah, fuck out oh, of here. Oops. <laughs> Wait. I do all the work, and ninety percent of the people show up to listen to you. That's I just a fucked don't up. Deal. That's true. That's that's just wrong. That's
4: uh, yeah. No, this is the Steve show. I just kind of show up and soil myself in front of the audience, and then stumble back off the stage. No, I That's... have no
2: illusions that you are the funny one. But at least what I love about Vaughn is he's educational. I had no idea that ten years was the ball rubbing anniversary. I thought that yeah, was apparently like, so. I thought, I that, thought was that was kidding. like ceramic or something, <laughs> yeah, porcelain maybe. But no, yeah. actually, it's down on your knees ball rubbing. That's fantastic. Thank you, Vaughn. And you know what? Because. Just a little Vaughn is never enough. No, Vaughn is not capable
4: of only doing one phone call. Hey, uh, yeah, so I'm calling back. Finish my
5: little segment of shit. Yeah, if Gordon would be selling to Californian and uses his only first name, <laughs> maybe people would remember who the fuck he is. <laughs> and I'm actually cursing. In the middle of a neighboring road. As I deliver. I'm, I'm sound winded, I know. You climb up a fucking hill with 30 ba- pounds on your back, like a mule, simply weighing 247 pounds. then you sound a little winded, too. So, uh, yeah, that's how it goes, Steve.
2: <laughs> Steve, why is it directed at me?
5: <laughs> um, yeah, but uh, guys, keep up the good work.
2: Uh, I hope you can uh,
5: understand this. Uh, you know how much of a dick I am, I know. I know a lot of people don't like me. And uh be a cop. But Hope you guys are having a fun time. And uh enjoy your because it may be your last. <laughs>
7: Later. <laughs> wow.
4: <laughs> he gets progressively more deranged each time he calls.
2: I-, I had no idea that you're like fucking Cher or Madonna. <laughs> you're just known as Gord out in the world <laughs> I guess I never really thought about it like that huh. <laughs> that was awesome well thank you Vaughn we always love your calls we really appreciate it and thanks to Stuart as well what about Fleet I mean it's not just Cher and Madonna there's, I can Flea. Like Flea. Well, there's lots of people Pele Pele yeah yeah, there's lots of folks that go by just one name, but I'm I'm pretty sure I know your last name. I don't know Pele's last name. Yeah, well, he is
4: actually, his first name is Pei, and his last name is
2: <laughs> Well, we have a new contest this episode. Yay, I love contests. This And this one is really cool. One of our oldest friends, Bill, the guy works in the vinyl record industry still. He is a renaissance man. And he was kind enough to put up a copy of Mastodons crack the sky on green, gold, and red vinyl for us to give away here on the show. Holy
4: crap! So, it's like a real prize.
2: Here's what you do go to the Bone Bat Facebook page and post crack, and we will do a drawing of the folks who fire in. Hopefully, there's more than just two this time, and we will give away this awesome piece of musical history. To one of you fine listeners. Yeah. Seriously, you're not going to
4: find better odds in any contest anywhere than entering one of our contests so far. We have like thousands of listeners now, literally thousands of listeners,
2: and we'll have two people enter a contest. <laughs> it's crazy good odds. Serious. If you are the person who says, oh, I never win anything. Enter this contest and you still won't. <laughs> this like is the other the guy. Con- will. Think this- about the other guy. This is the contest for you. That's all I'm saying. Oh, Lord. All right, dude. Well, you got a political rant this week? I do. See, this is why we have you. This is why you are so important. This
4: is why it really is the Steve Show, because you keep me on track. You say, what pisses you off? Do you have a political rant? We have some phone calls. If it wasn't for you, I'd just be staring at the mic not knowing what to do. God, thank God you're here. All right, Thank political God. rant. Here we go. A little one. A little one. Anwar al alaki Yes, I said it right. Anwar al alaki was killed in a U.S. drone strike last month. You've probably heard about this on the news. He was a scumbag jihadist who preached murder and recruited terrorists. And he probably needed to die. However, I think we should remember this guy. Because al alaki was an American citizen. He was a religious conservative who was killed for what he said by our government. He was killed without an arrest, without a trial, even a trial in absentia, and he was killed without due process. He was sentenced to die by a secret group of people who met in secret and used secret criteria to determine his guilt and his sentence. And he did not have an attorney, and he did not have a right to appeal. I pray that this is not a precedent, because scumbag, traitor, whatever, that's not the way we do things in this country, and that is my political rant. See, told you so.
2: You know, I didn't really know very much about this case, so I looked some stuff up. So here's my question for you. So you're saying that that basically what went down shouldn't have gone down that way? Not in that manner, no. so, evidently, this did go to court. There were several uh, cases that were brought up to have the price taken off of his head. And uh, Douglas Letter, the government's lead attorney, said, if Mr. Al-Laki is concerned about being killed, he need only surrender to authorities. If he does present himself, he's in no danger of the U.S. government using lethal force against him. New York Times called al Alaki perhaps the most prominent English-speaking advocate of violent jihad against the United States. Indeed. And U.S. law says, whoever, owing allegiance to the United States, levies war against them or adheres to their enemies, giving them aid and comfort within the United States or elsewhere, is guilty of treason and shall suffer death, or shall be imprisoned not less than five years and fined under this title, not less than $10,000, and shall be incapable of holding any office under the United States. So, I mean, wasn't that, as a citizen, didn't he sort of revoke his rights with his treasonous activity? And if he didn't turn himself in after that, wasn't it essentially open season? He was not convicted of treason, convicted. But I mean, can't you think of a situation where someone could threaten your family or loved ones, and you would take action that that would never see the court of law? Oh yeah, yeah. And you can't. There there are limits to the freedom of speech.
4: You cannot yell fire in a crowded movie theater
2: right i mean this guy but, threatened repeatedly american lives uh he
4: threatened american lives by saying that other people should threaten american lives
2: he advocated
4: violence against americans he's yeah. saying that that these scumbags should be killing americans and that's not something i would agree with and i think that uh if you are saying things like that Maybe that needs to be handled in a court of law, but you certainly shouldn't be killed based on secret criteria by a secret group of people.
2: I don't know. On the other hand, he knew that he was being sought. He knew he had the opportunity to turn themselves into the authorities. He knew that there was a death sentence on him.
4: And did he really know that there was a death sentence on him?
2: His dad put together a court case. How did he not know?
4: I don't know. It just seems like it it was extra legal and the the lack of transparency, the lack of our ability to say, okay, here are the justices that decided his fate and here is the criteria they used to decide it. That's what bothers me. When people start getting killed for what they say, even if they are advocating violence, if they start getting killed for what they say without their being in court,
2: that doesn't seem right to me. Right, but you don't think that he chose to abstain from his day in court by fleeing the law. Yeah, he did.
4: He got, he got the hell out of the country. But there's no transparent system that says, and this is what we do. It was all handled behind closed doors.
2: Hmm. I don't know how I feel about it. I just have... I feel like Your he's rant... a scumbag
4: and he needed to die. Your uh, rant... The world is a better place for him not being here.
2: Your rant made me have more questions than it did answers. That's all I'm saying.
4: Good. I'm glad there's some heuristic value to these rants. Look it up, think, write a letter, call in, tell me how wrong I am. But man, this Patriot Act, crap. It started and it continues to metastasize and spread. And I don't like the way it's going. I don't like that when I buy a car for cash, I still have to fill out quote, loan documents. That's actually a a Patriot Act requirement so they can keep track of who's buying cars. I don't like that. I don't like that the government has the ability to decide in secret who is a traitor and who isn't, and you might you might never find out the criteria because we have a history of labeling people traitors that, in retrospect, you know they really weren't. You know, Fred Korematsu, Susan B. Anthony, these guys, Martin Luther King, all these people have been called traitors, and. History shines a much more favorable light on it. There have been traitors, Benedict Arnold, that were traitors and needed to die. But
2: there was a system in place that was known, that was used to handle them. That's my bitch. But I'm just saying, if you avoid the system, if you knowingly avoid the system, then, I don't know, maybe you get what you get.
4: Well, in this case, you got a mouthful of Predator missile. <laughs> or whatever it was. It's a Predator drone. What kind of missile is it? One that goes boom. I don't know. All I know is I don't like it. It doesn't smell good.
2: All right, well, why don't we go listen to a tune now? Let's do that. This is Crazy Glue by Fishbone. right we are back that was crazy glue from the brand new ep by the mighty fishbone and joining me now yeah. i am happy as a monkey with a peanut machine to be introducing angelo moore one of the founders of the band
8: Happy than, than a monkey with a peanut machine ah, ah, ah. <laughs> that's pretty goddamn funny okay <laughs>
2: <laughs> welcome to the bone Bap show man thanks for joining us
8: well man you're welcome man but Wait now, what did you say the name of the show was?
2: Bone Bat.
8: Bone Bat.
2: That's exactly. right. Exactly.
8: Like you're using the bat, like you're using a
4: bone for a bat.
2: Exactly. Yeah, I'm and the bat part of the show, and Steve is the
4: bone. Right now, what are you hitting with this bat? <laughs> Whatever needs to be hit. <laughs> like a like a skull, maybe. Could be. Yeah, there's some skulls that need to be hit. Yeah, no shit, man. <laughs> mm-hmm. So the, the first time my introduction to fish bone was I saw you guys play at Knott's Berry Farm about 100 years ago, (laughs) and people were skanking so hard that it disturbed the Knott's Berry Farm people to the point where they ended up, like, sending out security guards and shutting down the show early and beating the tar out of people in the crowd that were in the front. That's how I first... Oh, oh, Knott's Berry Farm, man. We only got to play there once. That's right. (laughs) And then I saw you again at UC Davis... Same thing. You guys played and then you never got to come back because you offended people. What is it about you guys? I don't know, man. You know what, dude? See, maybe that's another
8: one of the things that pisses me off because places like Not Very Far, right? And these different clubs that uh, book us and they think, I don't, I don't know what they're thinking, but whoever books us, whatever promoter books us at, at these different places, the music, concert clubs, whatever, they filter in there, right? And then when we just start feeling free spirit and we catch the Holy Ghost, we want other people to catch the Holy Ghost, and that's what usually ends up happening. These people get to set themselves free. They get to dance the way they want. They get to let their hair down the way they want to let their hair down. But then you got uh, the security or whoever is coming up talking about you can't do that because... I don't know, maybe you're offended or something, or you're being too wild or whatever. Well, man, you know, they should have thought about this shit before they hired the
7: band.
8: <laughs> <laughs> they should have thought about that shit before they hired the band, and then they want, and then they want to ban us, and then they don't want us to come back. And then the people that were there are looking at Knox Bay Farm like, fuck these motherfuckers, man. They brought fishbone in here, and they want to stop showing bands, and we're not going to come to Knox Bay Farm either. And then we're going to tell our friends and very far I was fucked up because they stopped Fishbone from playing. <laughs>
4: That's, That's true. I've never been to back. That pisses
8: me off, man. When a promoter or a club owner books the band, but they don't know what the band is about before we get up in there. stage diving, skanking, and the possibilities of a pit are always in the picture when Fishbone is playing. I'm going to tell you what else I hate. Ooh, now you got me on the roll. So look. <laughs> You know, there's two lawsuits against me and Fishbone for stage diving, right? So this lady comes up into the gig up somewhere in Philly, I can't remember. One of the, the first lady's name was Jean Shockley, right? Jean Shockley wanted to shoot Fishbone because she claims I jumped off the stage and fractured her collarbone and ripped her ear because stage diving, right? But then I'm thinking to myself, how are you going to go into a club and not know what kind of club it is, what kind of crowd it's there at that night, you know? Mm-hmm. And then you're going to stand in the middle of the floor, stand right in the middle, and not know what's going on, man. That's like me going to a cowboy or a redneck bar and just walking in there thinking to myself, oh, this is cool. Let me just <laughs> walk my black ass up in here, and ain't nothing going to happen to me.
4: Walk in and go, hey, crackers.
8: <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, I've done that before, too, but, you know, that's one thing I don't like. So this woman is trying to sue Fishbone. Because she claims she got hurt. But then, and then there's another one in Philly who came to the show and says, I jumped off the stage and hit her, I, And so she trying her two-fifth on. Reminds me of someone stepping out in front of a car and yeah. getting hit so that they can collect the insurance money. And then they're going, oh, my neck and oh, my back. But you see them out somewhere dancing or doing yoga or some Pilates and shit. But then when they got to go to the lawyer's office, then they put their neck brace on they start walking all stiff and shit. It's that's a- what I fucking hate. You know, so it's like anybody who comes to a Fishbone show or any show which is like a hardcore show or like a a that's like some wild dancing type shit, they need to know, they need to step their ass to the side <laughs> and enjoy the show from there, especially if they don't know what's going on. Check out the scene, see if the scene is yours and go ahead and proceed with caution. You know, I can't stand people like that's another thing that fits me off. So now we got people trying to sue us because of that. And I'm just like, hey, guess what? I got witnesses. (laughs) I got witnesses. As a matter of fact, not only do I have 10 witnesses, I got thousands of witnesses. They go to fishbone shows. And they go up in there and they have a good ass time. You know, and they're not worried about nothing. But then you got people going in there and doing that. And I'm just like, hey, that's not cool.
7: Yeah, absolutely. That's not cool. Then
8: when I went to the deposition, talking to the lawyers for about five hours, they're showing me pictures of just people on the dance floor. Some of them are blurred, right? There's no pictures, no X-rays, and no crack bones, and there's no pictures of no boots upside anybody's head, right? Mm-hmm. So the pictures and the proof is whack too.
4: <laughs> that whole thing is whack. Yeah. Oh, you know so what? The whole thing got. is whack. You guys got banned from Davis not because of people uh, dancing in a in a fashion that might get somebody injured, but you called up uh, out to the audience a very attractive looking woman, replied to your call, and you had her dancing on the stage. And I think you right. were singing "Shake Your Ass," and you said, "Put your right hand on your mound, put your left hand on the ground, and shake your ass." But and shake, she yeah, did yeah, so, right. and and she was having fun, and the audience was having fun. Nobody got their head cracked. Nobody got their head cracked exactly. However, I guess that was a little too much for the uh, the uptight powers that be at UC Davis at the time. Yeah. You sometimes you just can't win. No. You can't, you can't win. you can't win, win. win, man.
2: You know, though. There's... Sometimes you can't
4: win. And you know, people need to learn how
8: to get that stick out of their ass, man, and loosen up. It's too much of an uptight society that we live in already, right? You got Obama, which I feel like he's trying to do right, but you got the teabaggers stepping in the way, making it hard for them to do their job or at least trying to do his job. So it's all uptight. It's uptight all the way around. The last thing you need is the uptight element coming into a place where people are supposed to be letting their hair down
2: and setting themselves free. Absolutely. Maybe that segues into a little bit about your music. I mean, Gord introduced me to you guys, and I'm I'm a, you know, white farm boy metalhead, and I first heard Fishbone, and I was just like, that is fucking amazing, and I've been a huge fan ever since. You know, what is it about your music that resonates so much with folks from all walks of life?
8: Well, man, because it's soul music. It's not necessarily the particular genre of soul music, but it's the music that reaches the soul.
4: I'd say that's probably the best description of your music I've ever heard. I've heard you guys call it mutt music. I've heard people call it ska, ska punk. They didn't know what it was, but it does. It's from a group of souls, and it's it's very pure, I think, and it gets out there... And it resonates with the souls of the people that are listening to it.
8: Now, as far as genres or musical genres are concerned, that's a different subject matter. Because, you know, any band or any artist or poet or an, or an actor, they can act their part or recite their music or they can play their music or, or whatever with passion and feeling. But then you have some people that don't do that regardless of what type of thing it is, what type of medium that, that it is. So, you know, we just do our thing with a lot of soul, man, whether it's punk rock, or gospel, or ska, or reggae, or funk, or R&B, or whatever. <laughs> we like to do it passionately,
4: man. You know, one of the most yeah. passionate things you guys have ever done, I think, is the final, I don't know what you want to call it, rap, maybe, at the end of Lion Ass Bitch. This song is dedicated. That's another say, thing that pissed me off, right? So here's yeah. another one, right? So check this out. Prince used uh, that
8: little clip in Lion Ass Bitch at the end of Billy Jack Bitch and didn't give me no credit. What?
4: That little tiny piece of crap. We're never <laughs> letting him on the show. I tell you, though, I love Prince. I love me some Prince. Prince was my main
8: influences, man. Prince was one of my main influences, as a matter of fact, on one of his first records, For You. Yeah. I feel for you. That's one of the first guitar solos, or maybe it was a keyboard solo, that I learned on my saxophone.
4: Wow. Yeah, well, I'm still yep. not letting him on my show unless he apologizes to you first.
8: <laughs> <laughs> well, I would like to do some collaborative Actually, man, I did do a little bit of collaborating with Prince. It was on this show called The White Room. The White Room in London, even though I had to wear a mask because I wasn't on the carne and he would have supposedly gotten in trouble, it was a pleasure playing with him, man.
2: That's wow. not of interesting huh?
8: He stole my clear cane idea get too, and he did a little stage dive. And I tell you, man, it's all right. You know, I look at it as a form of flattery. I look at it as a form of flattery when people copy me or they copy this because they like what they hear, what they see, and then they want to
3: experience
8: it or sing it or play it, too. It's just good. It, 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 it has a whole other dimension. To, when you get the money, it goes with the fame. That's so instead right. of being famous but not rich, you're famous and rich. I'm famous but not rich. So I want to be famous
4: and rich next time around. Goddamn it. <laughs> yeah, I think Prince probably has a couple dollars to spare. He ought to be sending some, something your way for that.
2: So That's the another thing
4: that pissing me off, man. See,
8: another thing that pisses me off is people love fish so much. They love fish But then when it comes to helping us out and throwing a bunch of money our way and putting us up there where they are financially, ain't nobody trying to do shit, but they'll tell us that they love us all they want.
2: Well, I don't know. You got this new opportunity now with Pledge Music to help you out with your new EP. Man, I'm at the Fishbone Soldier level. I'm right there. Right on. We got
8: the new EP, dude. We got Crazy Glue, okay? Darren from DC Records is one of the people that has reached out, and he has made it possible for us to record this record. And we got this movie called Everyday Sunshine. It's a movie documentary on Fishbone and the life and times of Fishbone and uh, I tell you, man, I, you know, I have to remain detached from the movie because it's like an autopsy to me. They cut open the body. They put the heart where the pancreas is. They put the nuts where the eyes are. They put the nose where the butthole is. They put the foot where the shoulder is. But at least you get to see all the organs, even though they're all switched around. Mm-hmm. You get to see that stuff. You get to see it. So it's good how they put it together. Christian and man, you know?
4: I've watched that movie And I thought it was good, but I thought, man, that must have been pretty painful for you to watch afterwards. I mean, I would not want to be in that movie myself because that would be hard on a relationship, I think, to have a movie documented in, in such a fashion. That thing does a lot of things right. Is there anything it does wrong that you want to go on the record and say, no, no, that's not right? Well, you know what, man? It was
8: some questions. The questionnaire that we have, me and Norwood are doing these questionnaires, right? Yeah. After the movie, people ask us certain questions about stuff that is going on in the movie. And, uh, you know, if I answer some of these questions and these people are asking me, it might ruin my career.
4: <laughs> well,
8: don't do that. So if they're not too challenging of questions, man, I go ahead and I just go ahead and answer them. Mm-hmm. I try to give in general answers. And sometimes when the challenging questions come out, I've, I've been able to... Not dropping the bomb, because, you know, when you drop a bomb, man, not only does it destroy the enemy, sometimes that shit will destroy yourself, too.
2: <laughs> yeah, a little splashback there. But you know yeah, what? a little splashback. <laughs> <laughs> One of the cool things about the movie was uh, hearing a lot of your contemporaries kind of talk about what Fishbone has meant to them. Well, I
8: like those people, man. I like them. I'm glad that their input on the band, you know, and what they think about Fishbone and how Fishbone inspired them. I'm glad. I'm glad about it.
2: Now, one of those bands, uh, Les Claypool from Primus, well, I saw you guys play with Primus at the Hollywood Palladium, I think in like 1988. And the entire floor of the Palladium was a skank pit. It was fucking amazing. I have never seen anything like that at any show I've been to. And that's the thing with Fishbone, man. There's always a memorable experience. The first time I saw you was at the Pine Street Theater in Portland and I remember you, you were, I don't know what song it was, but you were just into it, and you flung your saxophone backstage and almost took a roadie's head off with it. And, it, <laughs> and I was wondering, like, how many horns have you destroyed over the years just in the passion of your act? Well,
8: I haven't really destroyed any horns. Anything they've been stolen. Really? Or if they did get fucked up, it wasn't because I was throwing
7: them.
8: <laughs> Maybe they might have fallen or somebody might have bumped into him or whatever or somebody might have heisted one from backstage and I went to the bathroom or the dressing room because that shit's happened before, man. Mm-hmm. But I will tell you, some of the horns that did get fucked up Chris dow's on because Chris, Chris Dow would throw his trombone.
2: Yeah. He'd throw that yeah.
8: trombone and sometimes the guy that would catch it wouldn't catch it. <laughs> sometimes he'd miss it. <laughs> <laughs> now, now, I've seen trombones get flattened, man. Yeah.
2: Were you and Dirty Walt and Chris, were you guys in the school band? Like, where did the horns come from that joined Fishbone?
8: Well, the horns started in junior high school.
2: Mm-hmm.
4: Were all you guys in the in the junior high school marching band or, or concert band or something? We
8: were in concert band. We were in concert band. Me and Walt were in concert band in junior high school. Mm-hmm. Hale junior high, I think. Woodland Hills, California, man, is where... I started out out there in the suburbs, the white suburbs, man. I was a fly in the buttermilk, so to speak. And in the, rest fly of the, the guys, buttermilk? No, you were like
4: the only chocolate chip in the cookie. That's a better way to look at I
8: it. I was the only chocolate chip in the vanilla cookie, man, exactly. <laughs> it was a vanilla cookie, and I was the chocolate chip. And the rest of the chocolate chips, they got brushed out to Woodland Hills. And that's where I met Walt and the rest of the guys in the band. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, and we all learned how to play our instruments around the same time, too.
2: That's cool, because, you know, you you kind of came together as a family writing all those early cuts. And that kind of brings up something. The first EP is just so filled with, like, this amazing manic energy. And I kind of have always felt that In Your Face, the debut full length, was a little more subdued. Was there a lot of label influence on that album kind of holding you guys back? Or did you make the album you wanted to make at that time? Uh,
8: Ah, I think around In Your Face, man, was a time where Fishbone was still trying to figure out how to express what we wanted to convey musically mm-hmm. to the producer, which was David Kahn at the time. Right. So We knew how to play it, and we knew what we wanted. We just didn't know how to explain it to David Kahn at the time. Right. Like, for instance, we wanted a lot of bass in our music because a lot of black music has a lot of low-end bass, and we were listening to black music.
7: Mm -hmm.
8: Bass and the kick and the low end was really present in all the stuff that we listened to, man. And I don't think that David Kahn was from that musically cultural area to where bass and low end were a part of what he listened to. I don't know, I could be wrong, but maybe that might have been the case. But I remember I kept on saying,
7: we want a lot of low end, we
8: want a lot of bass. Or we want to put the keyboards, like for instance, a selection. What what record was a selection on?
2: That was on In Your Face.
8: Right, so a selection, we wanted to put the organ, the bubble, like the reggae organ bubble. The B three yeah you know, the B three yeah. does that. They do the traditional organ bubble, oh, gotten, we gotten, we gotten, we gotten like that. So I was like, Man, I wanna put that bubble in there and he really didn't know where the bubble was. Oh wow. And so I was like, where well, the bubble goes like this and he was like, Man, well no don't nobody wanna hear that man, you know, they want to hear it like this, so he played some other kind of part and it worked. It all worked. Mm. It just wasn't exactly what I had in mind. Yeah. Originally, when we were making
2: the song. <laughs> and it's not that. By no means, nothing you guys have done, as far as I'm concerned, is a bad album. But that album does seem a little more sedate. Although it does have stuff like Charlie. I mean, I love that line. I love you, Charlie, when you're chickling my wally. It's like Cab. Yeah. <laughs> it's like Cab Calloway, or it's like uh, I don't know, Doctor Seuss if he was a pimp.
8: Yeah, Doctor Seuss was a pimp, and he had a big fat girl. That's what he was doing all his <laughs> <type. laughs> That song is the shit. Was another reggae. Charlie was another song, man, that I wanted that organ bubble in.
2: Uh-huh.
8: Like the traditional reggae organ bubble, but that never got in there. He had the part that went... Bah, right, so he, he had made that part, and it works, but the part that I wanted never got in there. Mm. And uh, we play it live, but it just ain't on the record.
2: A couple other tunes, Fishbone is Red Hot and Skankin' to the Beat. Now, those never saw the light of day on vinyl or CD until your greatest hits, Nutmegasaurus, came out. You were playing those live for years. Why did those take so long to actually end up on a CD? Oh, fuck, I
8: don't know, man.
2: Those are great fucking great. tunes, man.
8: Yeah, they were great songs. Skankin' into the Beat ended up on the back of the 12-inch of Ground Zero long version. Oh, Okay. There's a 12-inch long version of Party at Ground Zero, right? Party at Ground Zero is like 15 minutes or some shit, or maybe 12 minutes, and it's got like a psychedelic part. It's got the bomb blowing up. It's got some kind of shit. It's got drums in there, everything, right? And then on the back of it, it's skanking to the beat.
2: Oh, okay. Yeah, I had never heard that tune other than live until The Greatest Hits came out, and I picked it up there, and that was awesome.
8: Yeah. Yeah, so they, they put that on, what is it, Fishbone 101?
2: Yeah, exactly. Which is a must-on as far as I'm concerned. But.
8: After a while, man, you lose track. <laughs> I know for me, I lost track of a lot of it. I was so busy into just playing the music because the stage was a place where I could escape. I could escape from all the misunderstandings and, well, we can't do this, but we can do that, and, and all the rest of that shit. So the stage, man, is where it's just pretty much complete freedom.
2: That's very cool. Yeah, you can tell, man. Well, like Gord was saying, the uh, one of my favorite tunes has always been Lion Ass Bitch. And the, the first time I saw you live, you took that end little bit and you just expanded it. It was this this torrent of hilarious rage that I just loved. Yeah. Can you tell us the story of Lion Ass Yvette? Well,
8: it's his girl that I was fucking back in the day. <laughs> <laughs> like, maybe junior high school, man. I was so in love with her, man. She was this Creole girl, man. Fine. Had a big ass and everything, dude. Oh, my God. I was in love and head over heels in love and blinded. (laughs) I would travel all the way from the valley to the hood, and I'd have to walk past the Crips and the gangsters and shit just to get to her house. Yeah. Anyway, man, she ended up fucking Norwood and a couple other guys in the band. (laughs) (laughs) And so, yeah, and so I walked in. I walked in to Norwood's house because Norwood and Fish you know, Fisher's mom, mom's house. So when they, when Fisher's mom, when Miss Fisher wasn't there, Yvette would come over and they fucked Yvette on the couch, probably a couple guys fucked her. And then I came in for band practice and they pointed to a wet spot on the couch and they said, see that man? That's <laughs> oh, God, some spot. Dude. <laughs>
7: that, is <laughs> that is brutal. Oh, yeah, dude. Oh, yeah, and shit. then she said, I didn't do it.
8: She said, I didn't do it. And I said, bitch, you lie. <laughs> and so, Kendall wrote that song. Because you know, sometimes, man, you could just be so pussy whipped and so in love that you will not believe any of that shit. The only person you believe is the face or the head that the pussy is attached to. You don't <laughs> believe your friend.
7: Oh, oh man.
4: man.
8: So, Kendall wrote that song from looking at me and me dealing with best. <laughs> yep.
4: What'd she think of the song?
8: I don't know, man. I guess she may have liked it. <laughs> I, I, I didn't give a shit, actually. I didn't care. <laughs> I didn't care. She probably, you know. I tell you, man. When people have fucked up songs right about up, Because, man, unfortunately, the way I am, and I'm gonna, I'm, I've been changing this about me. When I have a, a bad situation, or I have like a fucked up love situation, or whatever, or I get fucked over, or whatever. Like my last divorce with my baby's mother, man. I got so many songs out of that raggedy-ass situation, dude. I got The Suffering. I got Ma and Pa out of my mom and dad's divorce.
2: Another that, one of your I just amazing tunes.
8: Drunk Schizo, I got that out of my mom and dad's divorce and the whole dysfunctionalism within the family, you know. And uh, even with Crazy Glue, that's about the dysfunctionalism of fishbone.
2: Yeah. Yeah, uh, what is it? Power struggles lead to frustration? Yeah.
8: Yeah, the competition and power struggle only makes frustration double, and it sticks to you like crazy glue.
2: Yeah. And so, in writing the new EP, now, you had already filmed the film, and you'd seen probably a cut. Was there kind of a catharsis? Did you guys kind of figure out a way to kind of get past some stuff because of the film?
8: I don't know, man. I hope so, though. I mean, I think the only thing that may have gotten us past a couple of problems is the fact that... Me and Noah went to therapy. We went to counseling, and I insisted that we went mm-hmm. because if you want something, if you want something to happen, if you want to keep a marriage or a relationship together, you know, and you end up not understanding one another and bridges and shit, misunderstanding comes into the picture, man. Some, sometimes you got to go to therapy to work it out. You know, sometimes counseling, sometimes therapy, sometimes going to AA, even seeing the movie and seeing how you are in the movie, right? some of the shit that went on in the movie Mm -hmm. and that they actually put in the movie and a lot of the stuff that didn't get put in the movie i'm just like hey well it's good to be humble and forgiving it's what my main thing is nowadays be forgiving and be humble and try not to have no resentments man because resentments can hold you up from creating a lot of magic and beauty and believe me believe me I got a lot of resentment. I got a lot of them. I got resentment to tall as the Empire motherfucking State Building. <laughs> Matter of fact, I got a solo record. Yeah? All my solo records are resentment-based. Once I get my solo records out of the way, it's like a big exhale. like Because oh. a lot of my solo records, man, all, a lot of the songs in my solo records were songs that didn't make it to the Fishbone record. Ah, okay. So I take them and I re-record them. And I'm playing all the instruments, by the way, you know, because when you get resistance from your bandmates, like, why do you want to do that song? Or, I don't want to do that. Or, why do you want it to speed up or slow down there? Or, why do you want to sing about that? Or, what do you mean by do doot, 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 when you want me to play that drum part? Or, don't play my drums? Or, why don't you get somebody else to play drums? Hearing all of that shit makes you get resentments, man. And so from there on in, I decided, hey, I'm not going to be stuck with an idea in my head that I can't get out of my head and manifest that shit into something real, like a drum part or a bass line or a fucking horn part or a guitar or a keyboard part or any of that shit. And granted, I don't know how to play any stringed instruments. I can play drums. I can play drums because Fish never did let me like me to play his drums. He never did like that shit. <laughs> so I learned how to play drums on my own. Now I can play drums good enough to where I can get my whole vision across to so where I don't need any goddamn body. I can play bass. I don't have bass guitar, but I got a bass saxophone. So I got that covered, right? When Walt yeah. had his tuba, now these are the things that piss me off, right? So here, here it comes again. The drum thing, right? So I can play drums. When Walt had a tuba, I was so excited when Walt had bought a tuba, a And Walt was playing the tuba, But then when Walt stopped playing his tuba, because I guess he might have figured that it was too much trouble lugging that motherfucker around, but I was like, oh, wow, we got a tuba. Then when Walt stopped playing, I'm like, how am I going to play the tuba? (laughs) And then I said, bling, let me get a bass saxophone. That's going to cover the tuba. That's going to cover the whole block of tuba. So I got a bass saxophone, so now I got my bass parts covered. And then I got baritone, tenor, and alto, and soprano, which make up a horn part, okay? When it comes to keyboards and stuff like that, I can play keyboards good enough to get my idea across. I can play percussion good enough to get all of that shit across, too. Mm -hmm. And then I can do all my background vocals and my lead vocals. Hence, that's how I made Dr. Matt Comprehensive Lynchology, which is my solo CD. And then I made another solo CD called Dr. Mad Vibe's Medicine Cabinet, which all my songs are played by me. And then I just got this new CD out called Dr. Mad Vibe Brings You the Angelo Show, the Olegna Phenomenon, a journey into self-discovery. <laughs> and this is an album that I just did from Kickstarter. I did oh, Kickstarter. Cool. I reached my financial goal because the band believe in me and what I'm doing and what I want. They know I'm going to give them the good shit, man. So I got a Kickstarter going. And now that I've reached my Kickstarter goal, it's like $25,000. You can see that shit online. I'm using all that money that the fans have sent me, which are my backers. In essence, the fans are the record company. So I don't need no goddamn record company because I got the fans giving me the advance instead of a record company giving me a band.
7: Yeah. I got
8: all this money now to put it in the solo project. So now I'm, I'm mixing my song. I got a master. I think my songs might even be mastered today. And I got T-shirts, merchandise, I'm going to be making a video to the song called Optimistic Yes out here in, in New York. So while I'm doing the Fishbone movie and doing interviews on that and doing question and answer with that, and I'm collaborating with Norwood and we're doing acoustic sets like that, After I finish that, then I'm going to go and I'm going to start working on my video, Optimistic Yes, for my solo project. And you got to have a solo project, man, because if you ain't got a solo project, the last thing you want to feel is stuck. You want to be able to have a back door and get all of your ideas out just, just in case you can't get it out with your main shit. You got your side shit you can get it out on.
4: That's cool. Always, I'm glad we know about that. We're going to pin that too. Yeah, I
8: always recommend that all the band members, man, in Fishbones, you have your solo project just in case the collective of the band doesn't agree on the song that you want to do. You can do it with your solo project. So Dirty Wild's got Year to the Dragon and Dirty Wild in the Columbus Sanitation. Dre Gibson's got Hunter Green nor has got Trino Disgrace and I got Dr.
2: Mad That's really cool, man. It gives you something to do away from Fishbone. Kind of recharge the batteries a little bit.
4: That right there can fill up a whole shelf on my CD rack. Just yeah, have all yeah. the Fishbone individual projects.
8: That's right. You got Fishbone, and you got all the Fishbone side projects, which are all a part of the Fishbone familyhood. And I got my own record company called More Map Records, which my partner, his name is Kino Map, man. He was a Toonanny poet. We joined together. And we have our own record company called More Records and a distribution company, man. So you can, if you're an artist and a musician, you want to put your music out, we'll help you put it out there. All you got to do is make sure that it's marketed properly. You know, but we can put it out there for you so that people can see it and know that you're there.
2: Well, that's some good advice because we play a lot of young musicians on this show who are independent, they're just getting started. And so, you know, giving them an outlet to put their music out, that's a pretty cool thing that you're doing, man.
8: Yeah, it's important, man, because like i said with the society that we live in and it's so restricted it's so restricted and america as a country is so linear compared to a lot of european countries and japan when it comes to music and art you know and south america too i've noticed you know it's so restricted that you know you need to be able to have an outlet and hopefully the underground music scene in america will come up to the top so that the pop culture and see what's going on. Because a lot of people don't even know what Sky is, man. I'm like surprised at some of the people that I, they ask me, what do you do? Why are you dressed like that? And what instrument you play? i like, I tell them what's going on. And I tell them, like, well, I play rock and roll. They know about rock and roll. They know about funk. And when I say Sky, they don't know what Sky is. So I got to give them a little, a little brief update up on what Sky is.
2: <laughs> Unbelievable. Yeah. All right, man. Well, yeah. uh, kind of been covering it throughout the whole show. But you got anything else that pisses you off? Yeah, man, I do. What pisses me
8: off, man, is the kind of baby's mother that keeps their kid from seeing their dad, especially when the dad wants to be in the kid's life. I got a baby's mother just like that. I got a 14-year-old daughter. She loves me to death. She wants to be like me. She plays saxophone. She writes poetry, and she draws. Her name is Cheyenne Star for Evermore. Her baby's mama is a bitch. She's selfish, and she's jealous. And she likes to keep her from me as much as she can. And she's mad. She got another baby now. She's a little one year old baby. His name is Dylan. She got a new fool for her husband. But she's still jealous of me because I guess I get to travel and fly and play music. So she wants to make it as hard for me as possible to see my daughter even with court papers. That don't even fucking work. So the court system when it comes in behalf of like supporting the dad, usually the family court system really isn't in behalf of the dad a lot of the time. So a lot of dads get the short end of the stick. A lot of dads say, fuck it. Why do I got to deal with this bitch and fight for something that's naturally supposed to be half mine? Yeah. So a lot of dads just get up and say, fuck it, I'm out of here. But dads like me who want to stick around and see their kids and be a part of their kids' life, but the mom is still going, oh, fuck you, and slamming the door in your face and hanging the fuck up? Dude, fuck that. That's what pisses me off. And... It's even harder because I travel a lot, so I'm not around. So when I am in town, I don't want to hear none of that. No, you can't see her today. You can't see her and fuck you. I'm just like, guess what, motherfucker? You need to pay attention to a lot of other babies' daddies who actually want to be around. And the thing I can't stand is kiss-ass dads who are with the new mom, but because they got a baby, and I'm talking about my daughter's stepdad, he's got a new kid by her, right? But because he's in the spot to where... You don't want to cause no way. He always says, Man, I ain't trying to be in the middle of it and shit like that. I'm like, motherfucker, you are in the middle of it. And you better play it, don't happen to you. <laughs>
2: <laughs> oh. no shit. Matter
8: of fact, okay, listen to this. Listen to this poem. Like, this is what I always I've been saying this shit, lady dude, because I, this is one the, the thing that pisses me off. <clears throat> Secret agent dad. What's that stand for? Sad. What's that spell? Secret agent dad. Pops let the knowledge drops. Secret agent dad. We need you. It takes a special one to save dad kind. Baby's mama's jacking babies. Baby's daddies losing their mind. Secret Agent Dad, you can't stop even when the tick comes without a talk. Most of all, remember, it's not your fault. Secret Agent Dad, we need you to support one another and the new dads, too. And for those of you dads who don't know, check out your bro. Secret Agent Dad. First he was a happy man, now he's sad. Can you think of all the drinks that he's had? because of what he wanted, but could not have, only to be a dad. Secret Asian dad must fight this curse. Over and under, he must quench the thirst of living a family huxtable life for an aspiration of a child and wife, because now your lovely wife has turned to a devil, throwing his kids and ran like a rebel. Just a man with idealism, but now he must learn to forgive. Got another woman and another life, but he's tossing and turning and sweating in the bed at night. going to find his kids if it's a lifetime mission. Baby's mama trying to beat him into submission. Teaching my kids to hate my eyes, but the truth always rises to the top. The good always outweighs the bad. You can't stop secret agent dad. Pops let the knowledge drop. Secret Secret agent dad. Secret agent dad. Secret agent dad. So you can move far away and cut the phone wire, but you won't stop my kids from feeling daddy's fire. All these bitches turning on their men, calling themselves mom after the baby comes in. You can hate me all you want, but it's only our kids that we're doing the wrong. <laughs> so in the best interest of our child, I'm coming to get you. Secret agent dad. So pops, let the knowledge drop. So also just around midnight, when all is and sound, son is creeping alongside students on the underground railroad track, going back to dad's flag. S.A.B., let me tell you what it means to me. Secret agent dad. So, sad ain't necessarily a bad thing. It's an abbreviation. Still poles with impenetrable strength, man. Even though your weight is tough and long, you got to stick around for your kids in the long run, man. So, that goes out to all the dads that's having trouble seeing their kids right now. So, if they got to go into secret agent dad mode just to get over the hump, brothers go right on ahead.
2: Wow, man. That may be the best what pisses us off in history. Well done, sir. Yeah. Well, thanks so much yeah. for, for joining us on the show, man. We really appreciate it.
8: Yeah, you're welcome, man.
2: Do You want to lead us into this next tune real quick?
8: Weed bear cigarettes? Yes, sir. Okay. So weed bear cigarettes is where cigarettes is legal. Yeah. And, it, and it, kill, it kills the majority of people. Liquor is legal, and that kills the majority of people with, you know, drunk driving and shit. Cigarettes got cancer and everything. But then when you want to smoke weed, they want to make it illegal. And people get upset when you want to smoke weed. When weed ain't one of the biggest killers. You know, it ain't one of the biggest killers. Matter of fact, it's one of the least killers around. Mm. You know, it relaxes people. It may give you dry mouth. It may give you the stupids and shit. But it definitely ain't <laughs> as bad as cigarettes and liquor. And so weed bearing cigarettes is the name of the song. And it's all about legalizing marijuana. In America, if Amsterdam can do it and foreign countries can do it, why can't we?
4: All right, man. Right on. Let's do it.
8: All right, you guys. Thank you so much.
0: Cigarettes, while the prejudice Glamour Puss Johnny Rocker join the journey set Legalized for addiction sponsored by the government The drug enforcement agency, ways to get him Medical pages needed, won't you share the love Grandma, Uncle, and Aunt so hail cigarettes, smoke Little brother pounds that are is how he gets his joke I smoke the cotton in early life with a rooster's Said. There's a legal subject that I think we have to address. We bear with cigarettes while the bridge test Crystal thrown handcuffs on the caregivers wrist Imagine on the doctor's office. Can you picture this? That round out the stresses. These companies that get in your pocket and then get you addicted are the same as sponsor and programs that get you to get the habit. Available in the marketplace to Contradiction, propaganda's movie lie. Sweet and legal and caramelist. Ooh, this i that's wrong and evil. From the council meeting emerges a city where Jackson clutching over. With a cowboy boot press to his gun. Oh, yeah! Surrounded in the desert by plain clothes, vets, and cops. Smoking cigarettes and thugging, telling him to stop. Making it hard for us to shut you down with websites up that put us down and pro-war posters we'll rip down. We beer and cigarettes, bad for me and you. I can only pray that my kids don't do it to you. We beer a cigarettes, why the prejudice? Cause when I smoke cannabis, you get real take yeah.
2: All right, once again, we are back, and now it is my pleasure to introduce Norwood Fisher, one of the other founding members of the Mighty Fishbone. How you doing, sir?
3: You know, I'm having such a wonderful day here in Brooklyn at the premiere of Everyday Sunshine. It's all unreal, man.
2: I know you got amazing stuff happening around the band right now. You got an amazing new EP, Crazy Glue, which is just about ready to hit. You got this documentary, Everyday Sunshine, that is showing right now. It's having its premiere. I mean, just great stuff's happening for you guys.
3: Really? I'm thrilled to the utmost. You know, it's, it's a lot happening. It's a beautiful time.
2: Now, I've been a fan of Fishbone since all the way back 1985, 1986, right when the EP came out. And one of the things I've really enjoyed about your band is that, A, it's really fun, ash shaking music. But also, you know, you got a bit of a social conscience. You don't have to go any further than the first song on the first album. You guys were raging against politicians, against war, against oppression. Where did you guys get that social conscience at such an early age? Well,
3: a lot of it actually changed from the music that we all listen to coming up. You know, you take a song like Jimi Hendrix's Machine Gun, really was an effective way to a guitar solo show, sort the of horror of war, the Vietnam War in particular, and parliament of the funkadelic, especially funkadelic, like the America Eat the Young album,
7: uh-huh.
3: as well, bands like The Clash, The Sex Pistols, and actually Saturday Night Live had a lot to do with it. Really? You know? Yeah, because there was a lot of political satire. Certainly, yeah. Saturday night, live, you know? So all of those kinds of things influenced us in what we did songwriting-wise and uh-huh. what we thought we should get away with and where we were pushing the boundaries. Is it okay to push the boundaries? Okay, yes. All
2: right, well, you know, one of the other things that I've always been amazed about Fishbone is I've seen you guys live a number of times, and every time I see you, it's always a memorable experience. I remember one time, most of all, was I saw you guys at the Hollywood Palladium. And the entire floor of the Palladium was a skate pit. I had never seen that anywhere else other than at a Fishbone show. That was just amazing. What is it like to tap into an audience that is that fired up about your music?
3: You know, it was the ultimate electric connection. It was like James Brown saying everything is on the one. Well, we got to experience that in real time at our shows where the whole audience, through mayhem and aggressive music and dance, everything was on the one. We were all connected, you know? It was like, you know, a little microcosm of the universe. <laughs> that everything was
2: perfect. That's a really cool way to look at it. Well, and I'm sure that a lot of that, too, comes from the fact that, I mean, you guys all came up together. That's such an organic way. It's not like, you know, the band was hired guns. You guys grew up and learned your instruments together and learned to write music together. And so there, there was a certain organic quality to your music even from the beginning. Yeah,
3: absolutely, because we, we all listen to the same music, You know, we all shared our music. So we could communicate on a higher level. Like, we improvised a lot. and Sometimes, you know, we knew the audience had no idea because it was tight. But if somebody drops a reference to something, if you you all came up on the same stuff, you could react to that reference. Sure, yeah. You know? So we, we had that ability, that telepathy. We did a lot of, we rehearsed a lot, we jammed a lot, and we nurtured the telepathy between us.
2: Yeah, and when that works musically, it's like magic.
3: Absolutely. You hear the older jazz can talk about it, you know, they they get it,
2: uh-huh. you know. And that's one of the things, kind of, that you see in the movie, is that in the 90s when You started having some friction in that family, and you started losing some of your members. I mean, you're kind of the guiding hand on the tiller of Fishbone. How tough was it to kind of keep the family together through those rough patches?
3: Well, there was always a will to keep it together. Kendall, when Kendall left, that was the only time that I really thought, like, maybe we should just stop doing it because I promised myself that if there were any of the original six left that it wouldn't be the same and maybe we should stop. When Kendall left, we pressed on and after that, you know, so I, I wasn't to my word to myself but I think I'm better off for it,
7: you know. Mm-hmm.
3: So we pressed on and passed that. There hasn't been another time when I thought maybe we shouldn't do it it it's been difficult. It's difficult when you lose those integral parts, you know, because they mean so much, especially the original members. But anybody that you that you engage with intimately in, in this music thing, with for a long period of time, like really, you know, you you grow the telepathy, you grow the ability to communicate on a higher level. And it's not easy to replace those things. Maybe it never gets replaced,
2: Yeah, actually. Well, that's one of the things that you kind of see in the movie, too, is the the message of keeping the dream alive, keeping the fishbone dream alive. And I thought that was pretty cool.
3: Well, I am fully aware of the importance of fishbone being here. Like, you know, we could break up, and the world will go on. But really, there's a legacy here that me as a fan of music and a fan of, of different bands, and I, I think if, if, like, if the band, some of the bands that I love, if they went away, like, you can't replace that.
7: Yeah.
3: You know, so I'm like, hey, if this football legacy ends,
7: you know, there will be no more. Yeah.
3: And as me as a fan of music and other bands, I'm like, well, I wouldn't want to that much The a fan of the of
7: fish
2: <laughs> Well, you've got this brand new EP coming out, which I've listened to the whole thing. Songs like Crazy Glue, DUI Friday, Akafu. Those tunes are as catchy and immediately infectious as anything in your catalog. What do you see as kind of going forward for the band? I mean, you guys are hitting a high note right now.
3: You know what? I think... Every step of the way, we're creating the ability to step further into our future. And so I personally am really digging into the craft of songwriting and production. And, you know, we we always attempt to reach forward and maybe try to find a thing that hasn't been done before as well. Mm -hmm. To tap into the true part of the creative process where you, you bring about something that no one's ever heard before. And whether we are successful or not, in that part doesn't matter. is that we try. It's okay to fail. So I think that as long as when we make new, new material with striving for those things, you will get an honest representation of where we're fishbone and what fishbone has always been.
2: Now, we play up music from a lot of like young independent acts here on the Bone Bass Show. And. As Fishbone, you've seen it all. You've been on a major label, you've been independent, you've been on major tours, you've been on smaller, self-funded tours. What advice would you give to young musicians who are coming up independently today?
3: Really dig deep into yourself and make sure that you love what you're doing. Because that's all that I have is my love for what what I do. Mm -hmm. And that's what has, has brought me this far. You know, because there's no promises about anything being easy. Nobody can promise you riches or glory. But really, if you love what you do, that gives you the strength to continue on.
2: And right now, we're kind of at an interesting period because there are a lot of new tools and opportunities available to musicians. For instance, like, you guys are funding your new EP through Pledge Music where fans can get involved and put some money towards seeing this product out to its fruition.
0: Right on.
2: So, uh, you know, that's a pretty cool thing, that you can kind of make projects happen without having a record label own you. Yeah, you
3: know what? And it's important to use the technology. You know, the Internet provides us with great ability to communicate, and we are taking this opportunity to try to do something that we believe in for good. You know, mm-hmm. you know, and hopefully that'll serve as an example for other bands. And, uh, you know, we're not the first band to do this, but this is actually us. Not being a band that just talks about it, but actually engages. You know, we speak politically, we speak about social issues, and we have the opportunity and we are doing something.
2: Absolutely, man. You know, do what you can to make a change. That's awesome. Yeah. So one other thing I thought was really cool about the film Everyday Sunshine was hearing some of your contemporaries from the L.A. scene speak about how Fishbone was such an influence on them and how how they felt about the band. I was wondering if I could drop a few band names and if you could give me your thoughts on some of your contemporaries, kind of flipping the card there. Sure. So tell me, like, what do you think of The Untouchables? They're another band that I really dug from the L.A. scene that is no longer really around as much. Uh, what, what was your thought on the Untouchables?
3: Well, the Untouchables were and are an awesome band. In fact, they're a band that I reached out to Jerry Miller, one of the, the only remaining original, and we're actually making an effort to do more things together just because I think it's good for the scene. hmm good for music. And... They are a band that, before Fishbone was able to make an impact, Their band that we used to go see, play live. <laughs> you know, we, we're a little bit younger than those guys. We actually started in the same year, but they went out and actually did shows. Uh-huh. You know, they are highly influential. They were influential to the Fishbone guys,
2: mm-hmm. you know? What about, here's another band that was playing a lot right around the same time as you guys were, Oingo Boingo.
3: Yeah, that's another, like, crazy, awesome band, you know, that was influential. I, re- I remember, like, Kendall, K- Kendall, probably more than anybody had a great love for Oingo Boingo. Like, Danny Elfman is a songwriter, and all of those guys as players were amazing, you know? And Oingo Boingo was a band that, that had a sound like no one else could capture. And he his voice alone, just a character. Yeah. And you can hear what, what really, from me until now, what he's been doing with his scoring and whatnot. It's like, dude, it's like he's carved out a space every step of the way that no one else can touch, really.
2: No, yeah, he has a tremendous and unique melodic sense, that guy. Yeah. What about uh, Red Hot Chili Peppers?
3: Dude, another, another awesome band that's really... Like, really, the things that we used to do together, like, when we first met, Flea and Hillel used to come over and jam with me and Fish a lot.
2: Really? Oh, that's awesome. I did not know that.
3: Yeah. And so, you know, Flea said some amazing things in the documentary about me influencing him. And honestly, I was taken from him, too. (laughs) You know? It was an
2: even exchange. That is really cool. What about uh, Jane's so, Addiction?
3: Jane's Addiction. I, I mean, you know, i got a lot of love for those guys, man. They we were friends with Perry Farrell when he had his first band, Psycon. And actually, I did not remember this, but Steve Perkins and Dave Navarro reminded me not too long ago that Jane's Addiction's first rehearsal was in my mom's living room. You're kidding! Their first two rehearsals. <laughs> they played my 21st birthday party.
2: Did they really? Yeah. Oh, that is so cool. Yeah, it's just, it's really neat how that scene was really that. It was a scene, it was a community. That's very cool.
3: Yeah, dude. I took two hits of four way window pane LSD that night. Boy, <laughs> I had a good time. <laughs>
2: All right, the last band I'll ask you about is the band that your new guitarist hails from, Rocky George. Suicidal Tendencies, man.
3: Suicidal Tendencies, one of the mightiest punk rock bands to come out of Los Angeles. I saw them before Rocky George was in the band at a club called The Plant. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it was naughtiest, nastiest music. (laughs) But great songs, you know?
2: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that first album is just stunning. Awesome power, man. Yeah. All right. Well, I, I know you're a busy man, and I don't want to hold you up too much longer. So one last question for you. Question we ask everybody on the Bone Bat Show. Norwood, what pisses you off, man?
3: You know what? I'm a surfer, and really what pisses me off is, like, when I see garbage in the water. Because it's sucking up the fish.
2: Yeah, no shit. All right, man. Well, thank you so much for joining us on the show. It was an absolute pleasure to speak with you. All right. Thank you.
0: Sea of class, my heart beating much too fast. Trying to be what I used to be, I can't stand the sight of me. Tears start to well up under my face, but they won't help me escape. Slowly, my life plays back in my mind, but I still refuse to cry. chills through to my bones, but I hope that I'm alone, guilt falls over my mind, I'm trapped in this space and time, on fiction showing me that I'm not dead, I recall the words I said, running through my head, one, two, three, where's my freaking keys, man. No!
8: Bone soldier number one, Dr. Man by the missing link. And uh, I hope you enjoy the show and come to the next Fishbone Show in town. Don't forget to buy Crazy Glue, the new Fishbone EP. And you can get my solo CD called the Angelo Show, your Legend Phenomenon, coming up real soon.
2: All right, folks, we are back, and once again that was DUI Friday from the brand new Crazy Glue EP by Fishbone. And now uh, we're introducing the filmmakers of the film Everyday Sunshine, the brilliant new Fishbone documentary, Chris Metzler and Lev Anderson. How are you doing, gentlemen? Good. Thanks for having us on.
1: Very good, Stephen Gord. How are you guys doing?
2: We're doing great now that you guys are here. <laughs> now the party can start. I mean, yeah. You know, That's right. Angelo was great. Norwood was awesome. But now it's a party.
6: <laughs> we have a little mosh here in this webcast.
2: <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
4: All right, so tell me, Steve and I, long-time Fishbone fans, but why Fishbone? Why did you get the idea to do a documentary on Fishbone of all bands in the world?
6: Well, I, mean, I think the thing I was just kind of taken by, obviously, is their energy and their stage performance. In fact, actually, my first Fishbone show was when uh, Lev came up with the idea of maybe doing this documentary on Fishbone, and we were chatting about it on late night at a party, and it just happened the band was coming to town a week or two later, and I was like, There's no way these guys are as great as everybody says they will be. Especially now, you know, they've been around for 25 years. No way they have the energy. So, Liv and I went down on a rainy night to this uh, small little club, the Independent of San Francisco, and I have to say, that was my first Fishbone show, and I was saved from that point on time. I joined the Church of Fishbone, and it was just amazing to see the guys' energies on stage and just the diverse and eclectic amount of music. And so, from then on, we knew, you know, they would just be great to film in regards to creating music, but then... We we're also taken by this kind of larger social and cultural history of the band being these you know, young black punk kids uh, from South Central LA that really transformed the music scene.
2: Well, one of the things I really dig about the film is that. In a way, it almost reflects Fishbone's music itself. Fishbone's music is an amazing collection and mix of styles. And you do that stylistically in the film as well, having like new footage, old concert footage, video footage. Then you mix in some really great animation, kind of some older throwback animation that almost reminds you of Fat Albert. And it did remind me of Fat Albert. Also, like, some more modern animation that's kind of similar to, like, what you'd see on Death Clock, just just really cool mix of styles, which I really enjoyed. How did you decide to put the film together like that?
1: Well, I think when you talk about the, uh, the Fat Albert-style animation of kind of depicting the guys um, when they met up in junior high school, um, we really wanted to, you know, have a fun way of introducing um, each of the guys in the band as these characters in the story going forward. You know, give you a little peek at their personalities and, um, you know, we wanted to do it as this kind of Fat Albert animation thing because we thought that would be fun because of just the types of stories they were telling. But also, you know, it kind of helps place you in that period of time of the kind of late 70s, early 80s when the band was getting together and, you know, it just adds that little extra texture and the different artwork that was used throughout the film. For example, there's the different kind of more collage graphics that are used with the Lawrence Fishburne, narration that was all kind of taken to be similar to the kind of artwork that you would see in the black panther newspapers you know like kind of free huey posters and stuff Mm -hmm. kind of that thick line style that you know also kind of gives it this sort of civil rights black power kind of vibe that you can get from the band at times and uh you know we just thought that would add this extra texture to the film you know with kind of these other like subtle uh suggestions of things so you know, and it's, it's a little more fun to introduce some of that into a documentary rather than just using photos that, you know, pan left and right. We really wanted to, um, you know, help try and make the film as interesting and diverse as the band is.
6: Mm-hmm. Yeah, we really wanted the band to come alive, you know, so you could feel not only their music, but each of these guys' distinct personalities. You know, it's just basically a visual feast, Fishbone Gumbo, in a way. Mm-hmm. And that's the thing that's difficult when you have a band like Fishbone. You know, they're very difficult to categorize, they defy genre, and they come from so many different places, and so we felt that when we were kind of weaving the story of Fishbone together, that, you know, you needed to kind of mix it all in, because if this was just kind of a straight-ahead, fly-on-the-wall documentary, it really wouldn't capture what was unique and, as the essence of the band, and that's diversity and kind of bracing your inner weirdo.
2: <laughs> Truth and soul, right there, right?
4: Yeah. yeah. When you when you did do shots of photographs, it wasn't just a sepia tone, gentle pan. There was a lot going on in the photographs. I love the pictures of all the different posters, showing all the different bands that these guys played with. I mean, they were all over the place.
2: Yeah, it gives you a really great sense of history.
4: And that, that really put you in the spot, too, because I I just remember, once I, I finally got out of the little cow town I grew up in and moved to the big, bad city of Davis, that uh, you know, looking up and seeing the posters, seeing the Seeing those around Sacramento. When I get down to LA, see the the flyers up everywhere. That who was playing with whom. I don't think they really do that anymore, do they?
6: Usually just inside venues and stuff. Sometimes we live here in San Francisco. At least Liv and I did when we started the project. Lev's now in Southern California. I'm here in San Francisco, but still in certain places of San Francisco, like on H Street and stuff. There's a lot of flyering, and there's some cool stuff that you can still collect. But and I think that's the thing that's really exciting about Fishbun is that they weren't just part about one scene. You know, they weren't just like alternative rock scene. They weren't just the ska scene. They weren't just the metal scene. They were kind of... They participated in all of this. So, you know, you had a lot of choices to people to interview. So we got to interview people like Ice-T and Gwen Stefani and Flea, but we got to interview people like Questlove and Chuck D and, you know, Eugene Hutch and Go-Go to Bordello. And it's really interesting just to see the kind of diversity of musicians that, you know, were their friends and were also influenced by the band.
2: Well, kind of speaking to that, Gumbo, I actually... You know, I thought it was kind of interesting that in the film, you guys don't really categorize the band or present that until kind of later on in the film. I think it was 25 minutes in when the word ska is actually mentioned for the first time.
6: I mean, I think the band never really wanted to be defined nor define themselves. You know, I mean, they were just fishbone. They were just great music. Mm. And one of the things I think that's really interesting about the band is that depending on when you stumbled upon them, or the sort of music you like, is the sort of band that you would see them as. So, if you first were introduced by F- to Fishbone in the early um, to mid-80s, you call them a ska band. Mm. If you ran into them in the late 80s, you know, maybe you might call them a rock band. Early 90s, they're an alternative rock metal band.
4: And so, <laughs> yeah, right. it all
6: depends on what album you were listening to, so, like, what sort of band they
4: were. Now, the, the one band, you, got, you went all over the place with all these bands that were influenced by them or, or respected them or whatever, but... The one band that I thought was most glaring in its omission was Oingo Boingo, maybe the only other band in L.A. at the time that was doing something similar, a a real mashup of genres, although Oingo Boingo was a little bit more um, Fela Kute, Afro-pop-oriented. What's up with that? Why no Oingo Boingo in there?
6: Good damn question. I never thought about it. How about you, Lev? Well, I thought about it, but I just kind of
1: assumed we would never be able to get Danny Elfman, but... You know, I think uh, there's several bands that were in the L.A. scene that we didn't get to, or even, you know, like a band like Bad Brains, who um, we actually did interview, but just couldn't really fit in story-wise. We really purposely kept the interviews that we included in the film down to a minimum to people that, you know, had relationships with the band and knew the guys to kind of tell this little bit more of an intimate story um, about the band and then some of these other musicians that were in the scene with them you know i think oingo boingo is definitely in there but i think they didn't come up that much um, by the band but you know there's so many times when you're like oh yeah or what about the untouchables which was the ska band that was yeah kind of definitely like a two-tone band like literally you know they had the black and white guys in that band and and they were kind of seen as like kind of the king of ska in l.a until fishbone came along and You know, I mean, there's opportunities for um, other explorations. I mean, I think uh, you're right. I I, I didn't think a whole lot of Oingo Boingo, but we we did really purposely keep the interviews included in the film kind of focused on some of those people like Gwen Stefani, Flea, Perry Farrell. I mean, Angelo, I heard this funny story not too long ago of Angelo uh, calling uh, Perry Farrell and they were talking on the phone and, you know, Perry Farrell used to have this band called Psycom before he formed Jane's Addiction.
7: Mm-hmm.
2: And
1: um, this, I heard this story relayed to me by somebody that was hanging out at the house of Perry Farrell when he was on the phone with Angelo. And Angelo asks him, you know, how's Jane's Addiction? And he's referring to Perry Farrell's girlfriend, whose name is Jane, um, <laughs> and he was having a drug problem. And then he, the guy that was telling me the story said Perry hung up the phone and said, that's the name of my new band.
7: <laughs> oh really? So,
1: you know, there's there's all these little connections and stories, you know, um, surrounding the time, and it's only so much that can be told in, uh, in in an hour and a half film. But uh, you know, we try to give enough flavor of that, and who, who knows? Maybe maybe we can get uh, some of the Oingo Boingo crew to uh, to participate for some DVD extras.
4: That would be
2: right on. Cool. So, was there anything that you found surprising once you started filming Fishbone?
1: I don't know what, um, if Chris wants to jump in here, but I, w- I would say the thing that struck me the most was, you know, I had known that they were never really that financially successful, or, or they might have only been at one point in their career, and, you know, the money doesn't last forever. Um, you know, one thing, too, I think about that is, is this is a band with six guys that yeah. tried to do everything equally. So, you know, a $25,000 advance for a record Split between six guys and agents and managers and taxes, you know, doesn't add up to a ton of money. But I think I was a little taken aback by how much, particularly Norbert and Angelo, kind of were were struggling to get by financially. And then on the flip side of that, kind of how dedicated and serious they were about their music and putting on a good show every time. I mean, we saw a couple shows in these kind of random places in europe where there would be like maybe 20 people in the crowd but you wouldn't be able to tell it um, by the band's performance on stage because even if they weren't making a ton of money they still have a lot of respect for the fans that show up and still give it their all so i think that kind of situation with the band was you know surprising but um you know as you get to know them it It doesn't seem so surprising, you know, the longer we hung out with them. And thankfully, they do still put on great shows all the time because I couldn't imagine shooting, you know, (laughs) 50 concerts of some other band that, you know, was going about it half-assed.
2: I was kind of thinking about that. I've seen them five, six times over, you know, since 1987, probably when I saw them the first time, and they've always put on just an amazing top-level show. I've never seen a bad Fishbone show. And it's been through all different eras of their career. So that's definitely a testament to what they do.
1: Yeah, yeah. You know, and they're not quite as crazy, you know, as a group. You know, I think Angelo is is a bit more of a bigger focus as the front man, you know. And I think he's actually just gotten better and better over the years. But, you know, the music is always very solid. You know, it's too bad that the original lineup couldn't stick together. But all the other members they've brought in over the years are all pretty solid musicians.
6: I think one of the things that both Lev and I tried to do, you know, as just kind of documentary filmmakers, is that, yeah, you read as much as you can and you listen to as much as you can, but then in the end you just kind of throw it all away and keep an open mind and get to know these guys without any of the kind of um, baggage or familiarity with the band. And I guess one of the things that really surprised me when we kind of started going down there is like, here's this band, you know, Fishbone, that influenced um, some huge pop stars, I mean, let alone just... You know that trump of you know James Addiction, no doubt, and the Red Hot Chili Peppers, and you know Fishbone never sold a gold record. You know, and I guess that was the thing that kind of most surprised me is that a band that was so well known and their logo is something that's very easily identifiable that they never really commercially sold what you might expect given the exposure that they had.
2: Wow, I did not know that. Yeah, Uh they're almost the Velvet
4: Underground of ska.
6: <laughs> or of <laughs> alternative now you have another really? band like you know 24-7 Spies that sometimes gets labeled with Fishbone, even though they're a bit of a harder sound and I think they had two gold records and sold quite a few albums and they're obviously less familiar than a band like Fishbone, even though they themselves are great
2: wow I'm really surprised to hear that I didn't know that
6: huh?
7: yeah I didn't know that either huh?
6: <laughs> yeah gold record right that's like
1: 500,000 copies right yeah. so it's yeah, it's not a whole lot, and you know, to this day, I don't know that they've sold anything that amount. So,
4: huh. so <laughs> what is people's problem anyway? Buy a fishbone, damn
6: it! <laughs> well, that's the reason why you know they get a new EP coming out. I think it uh, hits the streets on um, October 11th. So it's out there; it's available on iTunes, Amazon, and even a good old-fashioned record store down the street if you still have one.
2: We do. So, uh, one of the things I was really amazed by is some of the footage that you folks were able to capture. There are a couple of moments there that are as strong as anything I've ever seen in a music documentary. Specifically, uh, when former guitarist Kendall Jones returns for a reunion with the band. That was just almost tear-jerking. And, <coughs> Spoiler. Well, I mean, it's history. And the, <laughs> yeah. the other thing is that there, there's a scene where Norwood and Angelo are sitting there talking to each other about what they want out of the band towards the end of the film that was just so real and raw and riveting that I was just amazed. I mean, did you think that you would get stuff like that? We dreamed.
6: You know I mean? In the sense that, uh, you know, you start off you know, making this film, and you know the guys have kind of headed in different directions. But you hope that if you stick around long enough that magic or some sort of gold will happen on screen. And we knew that Kendall was um, around the Bay Area. And before we started the project, we kind of met up with him to see if he wanted to be interviewed and you know things kind of kept on being pushed back and then you know one night at a show at berkeley he showed up and you know things kind of yeah, went from there
2: did you have any idea that he was going to show up or was it just fate
6: fate i wish it was nice. so we could have stage, but he had just kind of dropped out of the picture for a couple months and <laughs> we left out <laughs>
2: oh, wow that's so cool
6: yeah and you know the thing about it is is that it was great to see kendall back on stage singing and playing with the guys but really, it was what was happening backstage that was just so great. know, I mean, you know, you had Norwood and Kendall just kind of hanging out on their bus playing music and just like, you can just imagine what it was like when they were junior high kids just kind of jamming and enjoying music for music's sake. Mm-hmm. And the smiles on their faces were just so large, you know, you're just like, whoa, these guys are deep friends.
2: Yeah, that was an amazing film moment. That was really good. Yeah, that was pretty
4: cool. Well, you know, I,
6: it's interesting. Since we finished up the film, we've been screening at uh, film festivals around the world. We've screened at about 125 so far. And um just so happened that last fall, we screened in the Bay Area at a festival called the Mill Valley Film Festival. And the band was doing like a, a post-screening concert. And we invited Kendall to come see the film, and we didn't know if he'd show up or not. And just so happened a couple minutes before the screening, we looked across the street, and here comes Kendall walking up, and we're like, hey, you know, are you going to check out the movie? He hadn't seen it yet. He said, yeah, I'm going to check it out. And um, he did, and he came and did a Q&A with us. And then when the guys did a concert later that night. He came and sang Party at Ground Zero with them. And so it was <laughs> kind of nice to, like, not even have to worry about holding the video cameras and just kind of enjoying a moment like that.
2: That's yeah, it. just enjoying it, sure. So one of the things I, I, I liked that you did was at the end, because the Fishbone story's not over, you didn't do a Where Are They Now ending. Which, I, you know, one hand, it sent me right to Wikipedia to see what's going on with the band. But <laughs> I just thought that that was a really cool, you know, every other movie ends that way, and you guys didn't, and I thought that was kind of cool.
1: Well, yeah, I think we really wanted to leave this open ended journey in the film just because the band is still going, and they'll write the rest of their story, and it'll be kind of fun to see what happens with them, you know, as they move forward. And one of the things that, uh, Chuck D had mentioned when we interviewed him, which is not in the film, but he said he just had a feeling that, you know, the world needs a little bit of fishbone right now. And, uh, you know, I think, uh, we didn't want to put the cap on their career. We didn't want to make it seem like it was over and that, you know, there's still a lot of music there for people to discover and, you know, not like make the band feel like there's some museum piece, you know?
4: Yeah, no, it seems like it's ongoing. You did a good job of that. Well,
6: and I think that's the great thing is that like anybody that saw fishbone, um, you know, whether it be back in 1984, or, you know, just a couple years ago, is that, you know, they still have it. And I mean, I think there's that concern sometimes when there's those bands of our youth that like, oh, well, they couldn't keep it up. They couldn't be as great. You know, they're just kind of a, a novelty act. Fishbone's there, you know, continuing to create new music, but also put on great shows with their old music. And, you know, I think that's really rare and special. And while, not all the original members are with the band. Um, I mean it's exciting that Dirty Walt has uh, rejoined in the last year or so is that you know there's a lot of great musicians in the band right now. I mean there's like Rocky George from Suicidal Tendencies is now with the band and there's great you know, people like John Stewart the drummer who's been with them about ten years and folks like Great Trey Gibson and you know, it just it's a really solid band. And so Fishbone is more than just the makeup of the six original members. It's a sound, it's an approach to music, it's an approach to a live performance. And Fishbone, as it is now, really brings that to the
4: table. Indeed. So you've done Fishbone. What's next? Are you going to do the, another unheralded musical pioneer? Are you going to do King Tubby? Or, or you got someone else that uh, you're looking at? Or are you going to go a completely different direction and, and get away from this crazy rock and roll lifestyle and document something else?
1: For a minute I was thinking, well, if I was going to do another music documentary, maybe I would do uh, Yellow Man.
4: The, yeah. Uh,
1: reggae dancehall artist, you know, he was an orphan, he grew up like an orphanage in Jamaica, you know, and he's this albino Jamaican, and so that's where he came up with the, you know, identity of Yellow Man, and, um, you know, I think he was uh, more influential on hip-hop and, and reggae music than he's ever gotten credit for, and he's also a cancer survivor as well, but, you know, as attractive as several months shooting in Jamaica and London, you know, would be... uh <laughs> You know, I want, I want somebody else to tackle that story. And, and uh, I think uh, I, I, I won't rule out doing another music documentary, but it'd be nice to try something else um, just for a little bit, just to uh, be able to step away from it and appreciate things as a fan and not be too, uh, you know, concerned about scheduling interviews and <laughs> forcing Angelo to talk about a painful past, which he is uh, <laughs> not very into doing, but um, was gracious enough to do it for us.
6: Yeah, I mean, I would say, I mean, you know, both Lev and I, when we started out this project, is that while Lev was a little bit more familiar with Fishbone and a bit more of a music head and familiar with just kind of the overall history of music, is that both of us, we just thought, like, well, music documentaries, are such a tired genre, you know, in the sense that so often they're films that are geared, you know, towards only the fans, you know. And we realized that, like, if we ever did a music documentary, we wanted to do one that, like, Really could kind of like bust through the stereotypes of the genre and allow you to kind of appreciate a band and its efforts for the sole reason of their stories and their characters, not so much the music. And hopefully appreciate their music, but that you wouldn't have to like their music to like the band, you
2: know? Yeah, even if you've Uh, never heard them before, you would still enjoy this film.
6: Yeah, and that's what we were hoping for. And, you know, I have to say, I was never in a band growing up, and uh, now I've gotten that experience going on the road, and I can tell you this is that musicians work their asses off. And, you know, that kind of day-to-day touring lifestyle is really difficult. And, you know, I had a good time with it, but I'm glad it's not my career. And in reality, it's like once you kind of tackle one sort of genre, you want to try to try a new one. And so I'm sure my next documentary will be something a little bit off-speed and off-kilter, similar to Fishbone, but not likely um, a music topping In some ways, that's something I think I can identify with, with a band like Fishbone is, like, wanting to kind of move between these different genres because so often once you do it once you're just kind of looking for the next challenge
2: and it's a big world there's a lot of different opportunities there
6: yeah and if you're curious soul you know you want to learn about as many different things as possible
7: sure
2: all right gentlemen well our last question that we always ask all of our guests on the Bo- bat show chris lev what pisses you off
6: I hate it when I have to wake up in the morning to move my car for street cleaning and I have <laughs> and dog shit. And well, I have to drive my car and go back and clean my shoes back at home.
4: Man, that's a combination of two piss offs in one. That's perfect.
6: Yeah. Early that's... morning, smelly dog shit. I mean, who wants to deal with either of those? No. Yeah.
2: Yeah, that's pretty brutal. It's
4: funny how many piss offs actually revolve around people's cars. Over the last four years, I found that people are rarely more pissed off than they are when they are in or near their automobile.
2: <laughs> it's true how about you lev
1: uh well you know i tend not to get too worked up about anything i try not to and and uh i can i can feel chris's uh hate um definitely <laughs> uh, but uh god i gotta say that i i hate when you have a computer not even two years and it starts breaking down on you which i'm going through right now and it's driving me absolutely nuts so, you know, I wish, you know, if you, if you pay good money for a product, that that product should last just a little while, longer than they normally seem to do. So I'll, I'll leave it at that. <laughs>
6: <laughs> yes. you know I'll throw a second one in there just because I think it's appropriate to the thing. Nothing worse than a violent mosh pit, you know? <laughs> but uh, if you're going to be in the pit, might as well have a good time and throw some fists, dance around a lot, but, you know, somebody falls down pick them up.
2: You know, it's a different world now, man. When Fishbone was starting out and we used to go to shows, the skank pit was almost a genteel place, and it's kind of turned ugly over the last 10 years. I don't know. It's it's not quite the same as it used to be.
1: Well, I think there's probably just this kind of, you know, maybe there was this gap in time when there weren't so many mosh pits, so the knowledge and, and the shared experience, the traditions weren't really passed down properly. You know, I think there was this little void of time when mosh pits weren't cool or the music wasn't really... Um, hitting like it it normally would, or the spirits of the bands weren't at the same uh, fun-loving level um, as they usually are, and, you know, maybe kids just haven't picked up on that. Maybe
4: so.
6: And that's what's great about Fishbone Fit, you know? Show up any day of the week in a Fishbone concert. There's a lot of love, and everybody belongs, and I think there's something special about that.
2: There certainly is. All right, gentlemen, where can folks go to see Everyday Sunshine?
6: Well, we just uh, opened the film up theatrically in New York, sold out all the screenings opening weekend, so that's a good momentum to stuff. Um, we're going to be screening another uh, 40 or 50 cities through February, so we'll be hitting the big ones and the small ones and everything in between. Uh, we open up in LA the weekend of uh, October 21st. Um, I know you guys are based in Seattle, so I'll give a shout out to the Grand Illusion Theater, and the week we'll be playing there is November 18th. but you go to our website, fishfilmdocumentary.com, we'll keep everybody up to date on the screenings there, and um, also do a little search for the film under Facebook, if you can fan it and spread the word to your friends, try to throw some trivia and other updates there. So those are the two best ways to kind of keep in touch with us and help bring uh, the fishbone Documentary to your town.
2: Fantastic. Well, thank you so much, Chris and Lev, for joining us on the show and for sharing your film with us. It was really amazing to be able to watch it, and we really appreciate the chance.
6: Thanks for the support, guys, and uh, looking forward to listening to some future shows of you guys.
1: Thanks, you guys.
2: Thanks a lot.
0: Everybody
1: just break your neck and lose
6: your brain. Everybody just move your feet and go insane oh, man, feet. The can take your body, out things. Yeah, beer in the buddy. air make it rain Nobody being rude, nobody Everybody hey.
0: going, go everybody, everybody, to the dance And just to the dance crazy face, don't so be brother. Brother. Go I take doing all three, no other I'm for this a serious thing we
7: are
0: doing here i ready for this not let ready for this guy Rock and kick, digga 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 dance until my mama's sick. Build a nutmeg nation, brick by brick. Jesters do flow and share too fast. Out of limit, let's stand and back. No rules, no wrongs You got the knack. Open oh, up your mouth, let's wild the nutmeg. Stack and go. Hey, you better move. The rude boys. I don't see y'all fighting. Oh my it. Everybody just lose their mind. Come on and dance and party. This is a we don't have no time you for fuss and fight. It. Everybody just lose hey. their mind. We ain't left in the techno dark core. Nothing left not life forever. <laughs> Make music! Choose the blind Go go mad, out of control, go 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 mad, out of control, go go mad, go 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 go
6: Hey, this is Chris.
1: This is Lev Anderson.
6: We're the directors of the documentary Everyday Sunshine and the Story of Fishbone, and you're listening to The Bone Bat Show. Rock on, guys.
2: Rock it. All right. Once again, that was Skink and Go Nuts from Still Caught in Your Throat, the previous album by Fishbone. Hope you enjoyed it. Thank you again to Angelo and Norwood for joining us on the show, as well as Chris and Lev. And now, Multimedia Triage.
4: Multimedia Triage.
2: So why don't we just jump right into the film a little bit, Everyday Sunshine. Everyday Sunshine.
4: In case you hadn't figured it out by now, it's a documentary on Fishbone, one of my favorite bands in high school and from high school and beyond, and uh, apparently one of the more influential bands
2: to come out of Los Angeles. Yeah, it's pretty amazing. they got a really great lineup of their contemporaries musically to speak about the band. And if you watch the trailer, which you'll find a link on the Bone Bat homepage too, you watch that trailer and you immediately want to see this film. And I don't know, I mean, this film had been, they've been working on it and it's been going around the uh, festival circuit. I don't know how I missed being such a Fishbone fan. I don't know how I missed that this was out there.
4: Yeah, I don't know. I didn't even know about it until you pointed it out to me. So check it out.
2: But yeah, it's it's a really great film. Uh, Like I said in the interview, um, I really believe that even if you've never heard Fishbone before, you're going to dig this film because the stories by the musicians that are in it are compelling. The music is fantastic, and there is just so much kinetically going on. Seeing Fishbone live is an experience, and that is captured by the film, as well as animation in a number of different styles. It's just a really cool flick, so please check it out.
4: Yeah, so we watched that.
2: Yes, we What do. else are we into? Uh, we've been playing Rage a lot from we've It's Software and Bethesda.
4: Yeah, you know, the first thing I noticed about Rage, which is an excellent game, the first group of bandits you meet, yes. it's the same voice as the orcs in Warhammer.
2: Is it really? It
4: really is. I kept I kept waiting for him to, to say some orky stuff. <laughs> Let's get orky. <laughs> That's funny. Aside from Bandit Ork Voices, fun game. Rage, it's uh, not breaking any new ground, despite what it may say. But it is a fun first-person shooter. It is a fun drive-around-and-shoot-stuff game. It's basically a shoot-stuff game.
2: Yep, it certainly is. You know, because we just played Borderlands... I find myself comparing it a lot, but the more I play Rage, the more different it seems. It almost feels like if I can use a Star Wars analogy because all the best oh, ones do. Oh, please. All do. the best ones are. To me, Borderlands is like the first Clone War animated series and Rage is like The Empire Strikes Back. That the animated series is awesome and fun and colorful and lively and bitchin' but there's no danger to it. Empire Strikes Back is gritty and kind of scary and bad things happen. That is rage. Rage, you get attacked by guys and you're a little bit scared in rage. There's some scary guys. Exactly. And, you know, the combat is hairy. I mean, Call of Duty level hairy when guys are chasing you down. Yeah,
4: the the enemies move a lot of different ways. They did a lot of work in in perfecting uh, different forms of attack different movements some are crawlers some run and take cover some charge right at you
2: some will run up the wall and do a flip and come at you with two knives it is fucking insane so you've got seriously shanked by those guys too and then you know there was a lot of buggy driving going on in borderlands as well but there wasn't really a race thing going on yeah this has a has a
4: race thing going on which is Almost like a
2: separate, because you can play multiplayer racing, which is a lot of fun. We were playing a little bit of that last night, and it's a good time. And the other thing is, it has uh,
4: a few co-op levels where where two people play first-person shooter together instead of against each other. And you and I went through one of those levels. It was hard. It was.
2: It was was challenging. It took us like four or five tries to get through that level.
4: Yeah, good stuff. And it
2: wasn't just because I suck. It was actually challenging.
4: Yeah, it was in addition to Because You Suck, not just
2: Because. Some of the early missions do feel a little derivative, and there there is a certain, well, you know, you did this for me, and I'll let you go, but first got to do just one more
1: thing for yeah, me. there is a lot of that.
2: And you almost feel like it's not that open, but clearly I'm the only guy who can screw that dead donkey.
4: <laughs> got, you got to go up the ridge. There's a dead donkey I need you to screw for me. <laughs>
2: You really, you I'll
4: give you the combat shotgun. It just, what? Okay.
2: There's, there's nobody else who could do this. You have seven guys standing around your camp.
4: Yeah, all of them look like <laughs> badasses, but you who just came from the past and are still like knitting bone matter together, I need you to go up and find a dead body at that place where you found the other dead body. I'll give you this magical flower and turn it into a potion.
2: <laughs> really? Can I just go shoot some mutants? But that said, the game is a lot of fun. So I, it is. It,
4: Although you carry an ungodly amount of stuff in that game, you're constantly like grabbing paint cans and oil cans and what? Why do you constantly need to collect junk in that game? And how do you not sound like that poor donkey before it died, just covered in like pots and pans, clank clank? And up the, I don't
2: get that. <laughs> yeah, you sound like a hobo in his cart when you're trying to stealth around <laughs> and attack the ghost headquarters. Yeah. <laughs> Holy shit. But yeah, good game. Good game. And then the other
4: thing you suck at, Digital Reality's new game Sky Drift, which is available on PC, Xbox, and PlayStation. It's a airplane racing game in the spirit of Blur. Just like you could race cars in Blur and have power-ups and weapons to blast each other, you can do that in airplanes. There's boosts. There's just insane flying you know, lean to the left, fall over watching the TV while you're trying to navigate through some of these courses, all the while the person behind you is launching rockets at you or machine guns. I thought it was a pretty fun game.
2: Yeah, I I agree with you. You see and do some crazy, exhilarating shit in that game. And I know you know, you liked
4: it because I could hear you going... Oh, no.
2: Yeah, you're like flipping no sideways way. between two rock pylons going under a spout of lava. And you're just like, holy shit, you you can never do this anywhere else other than in a game like this. And that was really cool. Now, I did have a couple of gripes. Uh, one thing to me, and granted, you were ahead of me a lot of the game, but oh, yeah. that was even in blur, you, because of, you're on a 2D plane in racing, essentially you can place weapons or drop you know mines and bombs and things like that that have more of an effect there's more room for your opponent to kind of get away from you i think it's harder to disrupt them with the power ups which makes about half of the power ups kind of ineffectual the other you just thing have to be is
4: closer. you can't be like half a
2: trap yeah but half. still i mean there but uh, in blur You could drop something here and you were going to come back to it later. Or you could be behind somebody and shoot a homing missile and it would find, I don't know. It just, it seemed like that was done a little better in blur than it is in this game. And the other thing that that bothered me was that it is essentially a racer on rails. And so if you get too far off of the track... It will actually pull you back into line, often slamming you into a rock pylon or a bridge abutment or a gout of lava. And that <laughs> hella sucks.
4: Yeah, that part could be corrected. They need to do something like just change the color of the sky around you when you're getting off course or something. Because you don't really know where you can fly and you're taking a shortcut or you're just going high or going lower or going wrestling, But you don't know if that's okay or not until all of a sudden your plane just gets pulled into a rock wall.
2: Right. And well, that's, I mean, that's for me, it was out. like, I was trying to go over, say a, a big, a great big, huge stalagmite or whatever. And they would like pull me into the stalagmite. Cause you weren't supposed to go over or around it. So that, that was my problem, but definitely a fun game. Definitely beautiful. I mean, you know, the animation and the stuff that you see is eye popping and, uh, yeah, check it out for as a Xbox Live download for what? Twelve hundred. Yeah, points? Twelve hundred Microsoft points. Yeah, that's is, I don't know
4: how much that is in Welsh sheep, but it's, <laughs> it's,
2: it's a like pretty, fifteen bucks, right? It's a pretty easy decision.
4: Yeah. yeah, it's definitely fun. And my kids have been playing the heck out of it too. But you know, the only other thing that I would gripe about it is you cannot play multiplayer split screen. Which you can do on Blur. I don't know why you can't uh, have two people playing the same game, same race, same Xbox. You know why. Why?
2: Motherfuckers be screen peeking. (laughs) You want the screen peeking? (laughs) I'm telling you, man.
4: Yeah, it's games like this
2: that are fun,
4: but not split screenable that really endanger my wallet because that makes my kids start wanting more than one Xbox. (laughs) They can play against each other, and that's not happening.
2: Yeah, exactly. All right, what else?
4: Well, Breaking Bad, season finale. God, it was good. You know what? I just got to gotta hand out a couple of props to the Breaking Bad people. One, thank you, Breaking Bad people, for treating your viewers like we're intelligent human beings and not, not spelling the story out for us, making us think about what's going on. That was nice. There's, it's nice to watch something where there's some subtle things to it, and then later on you're like, oh, that's what it's all about, instead of having someone stop and explain their nefarious plot and why they're doing what they're doing. The other thing I got to give props for is having a complete story in my life. So many series I've watched, like X Files, it seems like it's going somewhere, and really, it's just going to the next story. That it's there's no ending to it. There's no no thought about a beginning, middle, and end.
2: Uh, 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 Galactica. <laughs> hey, I had
4: an ending, and I like the ending, but it did go way off course there for a while. It's nice when you've got that many hours to tell a story, to tell a complete story. Goddamn good stuff. And as Breaking Bad ends for the season, The League begins. Yeah. Funny. Funny stuff. I'm glad to see the writers have not lost it. It's still funny. Raffy's there. He's still a horrible human being to the point where he <laughs> is my favorite character.
2: <laughs> really? I, I am just enamored of Roxanne. That guy is... <laughs> I just love how he's, he's an absolute sociopath.
4: Yeah, he is. <laughs> but come on, Raffi, his first line of the whole season is, Hey, I'm day drunk. Get ready to see my dick. <laughs> <laughs> That's his intro. Nice. Oh, God. What else? You know what I just watched? I just rented it? What? Paul. Have you seen Paul? No. The movie about the two nerds that go to Comic-Con that aren't Stephen Gord and they decided to go on a UFO site, you know, go to all the, the cool UFO places in America because they're from England. And it's Great got Brit- Simon
2: Pegg and Nick Frost from Shaun of the Dead in it.
4: Yeah. Now I'm all nervous about saying this. They're from the United Kingdom, okay? What did I and, say?
2: I said from Shaun of the Dead. I didn't. Yeah, even- I know, but I,
4: now I'm all, uh, they're, Eng- they're from England, uh, Britain. Uh, fuck, I don't know. It's
2: because you're straight up racist. Why you got to call them that? <laughs> Damn. You can just say I'm they're from racist. Shaun of the Dead. That's fine. People know.
4: Oh, uh, now it's all ruined.
2: <laughs> ruined? It's ruined. There's the an feast eye is in there. What's wrong with you?
4: Speaking of illegal aliens, they meet one from another planet, and the previews made this movie look really, really, really bad. And I'm pleased to say it wasn't. It was funny. You should watch it. It's not five stars, but it was funny, and it's kind of witty, and it nods to so many movies. You see so many other movies just that it winks out in there, from Aliens to Alien to Close Encounters to everything. It's cool. So wh- it.
2: why did it disappear so fast, do you think?
4: I think because it looked like hammered dog crap in the previews. I uh, think a lot a- of people like me went, there is no freaking way I'm seeing that. And then they talked to somebody who did see it and they went, oh, well, maybe I should have watched it.
2: So it's kind of like the Scott Pilgrim syndrome of the people who saw it probably liked it, but not that many people saw it.
4: Yeah. Yeah, very good analogy because the same thing.
2: All right, uh, the the last thing I spent some time on the last couple weeks was the All Pro, the third book in the Intergalactic Football Series by Scott Sigler was just a lot of fun. Uh, just finished that. In this installment, quarterback Quentin Barnes, the Ionath Krakens football team has avoided being relegated to the Tier Two League, and uh, they're making a playoff run. Plus he has he's got a search for his father and the gangster overlord that runs the team is trying to push him into a new contract there's just a lot of kind of intergalactic super crazy fun in this book and if you aren't reading this series and you like scott sigler's work you need to check it out it's a it's a good read right on oh hey one more thing i've I
4: played the demo, the beta, whatever you want to call it, of Battlefield 3.
2: I downloaded that. I never got around to it. It There's just too much going on this week. Well, let me tell you. It is slick.
4: It moves well. It looks great. It sounds beautiful. And it really does not bring anything new to the table. I played it and I thought, why don't I just play one of the other army first-person shooters that I have? Maybe the series is for people that have a group of friends that always operate as a team and you you can have your little team do your battlefield three thing. It's supposed to be better for that. I don't know. I hate people, so I don't play with them. I just shoot them, (laughs) but you may as well just pick up call of duty or modern warfare or something else. It's cool looking, but eh, what's new? Nothing.
2: All right. Time for filthy jokes. Then I guess Filthy jokes, filthy
4: jokes. So, which one should I tell, the Pirate Barrel or the uh, the Cowboy Relief Horse?
2: I don't know. Pirate Barrel sounds interesting. Pirate
4: Barrel. All right. So it's the new swabby on the pirate ship, his first day at work, and he's learning about the job, swabbing the deck like a good swabby, and the captain walks by, and the captain of this pirate ship, being a good pirate captain, he says, uh, so, you get your locker, you get your name tag, you know, you, you go through the orientation materials, and how do we do with piracy around here? The swab, he says, yeah, yeah, I'm, I got everything, thanks, thanks for the job, I'm really looking forward to becoming a, a proactive, exciting member of this crew here, but one question, we we go out at sea for a long, long time without coming back to land, right? The captain says, aye. Well, what do you do if you have, you know, an urge to, you know, have some sexy time? Captain goes, oh, oh, yeah, well, yeah, I see what you're saying. We are far away from land and women for for months and months at a time. So you go over there and you see that barrel with the hole in the side? Whenever you feel the urge, whenever, it doesn't matter if you're on your shift or on your break, just whenever you feel the urge, you just go over there, you, you put your junk in the hole and You know, any day except Tuesday, go ahead, take care of business, you'll be fine. And Swabi looks at him and says, oh, okay, that's great, but why not on Tuesday? Well, Tuesday's your day in the barrel. (laughs) You probably saw that coming, didn't you?
2: No, it's a classic. I've heard it before. I wonder if you've heard this one. This is another oldie. So one day, little Johnny's at school, and he's, he's chatting with his classmate, and his classmate tells him, you know, most adults are hiding at least one deep, dark secret. And this makes it really easy to blackmail them. You just go up to them and you say, you know what, I know the whole truth. So Johnny decides to go home and try it out. And he walks home and he is greeted like he is every day by his mother at the door. And she says, welcome home. And he says, I know the whole truth. His mother quickly ruffles her purse and hands him 20 bucks and says, please, just don't tell your father. And boy, he's pretty pleased with himself. So he waits for his dad to get home. His dad pulls up and he meets him at the door and says, I know the whole truth. His father promptly reaches into his wallet and hands him 40 bucks and says, please don't say a word about this to your mother. So the boy is just thrilled. He's got a line hot and cold running cash and knows this. And so the next day he's on his way to school and he sees the mailman at the front door. The boy greets him by saying, I know the whole truth. The mailman immediately drops his bag, opens his arms, and says, Then come give your real dad a great big hug.
4: (laughs) I have not heard that one before.
2: It's not that filthy. No. Maybe more filthy conceptually than it is uh, in reality. There you go. Anyway, thank yous. I'd like to thank Angelo Moore and Norwood Fisher of Fishbone, For both joining us on the show and for letting us use your brand new music, which we have been enjoying all episode. Thank you so much. Also, thanks to Chris Messler and Lev Anderson of the film Everyday Sunshine for sharing your film with us and for spending a few minutes chatting with us. Also, thanks to Digital Realities for uh, sending over Skydrift. Who else? Is there anybody else we need to thank? Thanks to our callers, Stuart and Vaughn. Oh, yeah. Thank those guys. And I think that's about it. Our usual bullshit. The show phone number, 425-296-6557. Or you can reach the show via email at steve at bonehand.com. Have new content on bonehand.com every Sunday, including the Heavy Half Hour. Episode 32 aired last week, so if you missed that one, go check it out.
4: Yeah, you can find my work, such as it is, new cartoon every week at mightywombat.com. You can follow me on Twitter when I twit at Mighty underscore Wombat. And you can hear me on the Bonebat Show.
2: <laughs> also, you can follow me on Twitter. I'm Bonehand over there. And we also have a Bonebat Twitter feed as well as a Facebook group, which you can go to win awesome contests. So go yeah, do that. Can't. Mastodon do on vinyl, man. How cool is that? That's pretty cool. Also, don't forget that we are available on Stitcher Radio. You haven't downloaded it yet for your portable device. You may want to give a look at that. And when you do download it,
4: use the promotional code Bone. Doesn't cost you anything. Makes us look good.
2: Yes, it do. As always, thank you for listening. And if you like what we do, please spread the word and tell a friend. Our final tune tonight is a classic. This is a live version of one of my favorite Fishbone tunes, the proverbial lying ass bitch. From Fishbone. Once again, I'm Steve. And this song is dedicated to lying-ass event. This is Gordon. Have a good one.
4: I do have a good one.
0: okay to will sound and clear so see ya star go 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 see ya star go 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 go
7: go 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 go
0: I it, I I her, but
7: I'm a a I'm
0: She, she, really, so she, she says for you. Oh, well. She, she says She's on sort the of she's all for of your eyes. She's been through
7: I've
0: with the old man I really thought I our love was smart You too, I you go I got a little splutter Through the straw I your care and that's my It's of Cause there you With the You're just you're but but a funny little lying ass bitch. I'm a sexy bitch, but you know don't care. you a little Hear me out. Hear me out. (laughs)
7: mm <laughs>